Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, so speaking speaking of this film, are we doing like a normal thing where we set it up and we talk about this, that, and the other thing, and then get into the film an hour from now, or what are we doing? Uh, it would be a bit more free flowing, I think. To be honest, okay. like, um, to be honest, I think this is how we started. We've had a cold open, <laughs> cold open, just cold open, just a cold Fuck open. It. Run right in. <laughs> we'll run. I'll do an introduction and then we'll run into it. Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Oh, I, I have a confession to start the show with, actually, that I think I should get out of the way. Well, should which I is, introduce the show, and then you can yeah, go introduce, to the Why don't you tell people, this is a great idea, this is a great idea. How about you tell anyone what the show is ever about? Yeah, so... And then, and then you can say who you are, and then I can say who I am. You are, yeah. And then we can, and then we can describe We can start uh, a level the usual, playing field. The usual co-host isn't here. <laughs> no, he isn't. <laughs> and, then, and then we can talk about Orson Welles in the movie. Well, I'll re-edit. I'll put this bit later in the thing. No, nah, I don't care. I love the idea <laughs> of someone tuning in and getting this for 10 minutes. Like, what's, uh, <laughs> what's, what's going on? You, you, guys are, you guys are very bad at introducing the show, for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> so right, I was go saying ahead. to you... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Wait, hold on, stop. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to let you talk. You go. Okay. <laughs> I would say, what does an art forger... A bibliographic forger, the greatest auteur in film? Question mark. Howard Hughes, a Ukrainian artist, and the documentary itself, the documentary format itself, have in common. F is for fake. That's what they have in common. This is our our film this week because this is adjusted just your tracking, a podcast where we're on a venture to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year. And actually, that isn't that this week. We're taking a small break in our little mini-series of the 1970s to just cover another film from the 1970s. Um, and I am Liam Delaney, and my co-host this week is not Mr. Oliver Jones. It is instead Mr. Brandon Kahn. So- That's me. I'm Brandon Kahn. That is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ollie couldn't be here today because he's no. too busy uh, making animating an actual project film, yep. uh, which I think makes you guys look pretty like pretty serious. Like, I can't be on my film podcast because I'm making an actual film. Exactly. That looks Look good. That. That, that sounds good, that does. Like, real yeah, people. Yeah, and then, uh, but actually, I shouldn't be here either. Because you're also working on it. Because <laughs> I'm also working on the same project. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so, really, I'm like living on borrowed time right now. Ollie doesn't have time to go with me on this podcast this week. But no, I thought instead no. of not putting anything out, I'd ask Brandon if he wanted to come on and we'll cover a film that he wanted to see from the 1970s. Right. Yes. Um, and I figured that'd be a fun way of just, you know, talking about different topics and other things and stuff. And um, and also, you know, just give some content for listeners rather than just going quiet for, you know, until Ollie's finished. You don't want to, you don't want to disappear just because Oliver has work. No, no, just because of work. <laughs> like, that ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous concept. <laughs> like, but yeah, we'll talk a bit about Orson, I reckon, because it's the first time he's going to be on the show. He's not going to be the last yeah, time definitely. he's going to be on the show because um, no, I noticed. I am, um, I don't know Orson Welles very well at all, yeah, actually. He's, he's great. <laughs> um, I've seen Citizen Kane, but it was when I was young. So I want it right. back, I've put it back on the list because I kind of want to watch it again. And I figured if we're doing like whatever, it, it should be on the list. Why not? Like if people haven't seen it, it should be. It's Citizen I think, Kane. You know, I like, think Citizen Kane you can skip because it's so obvious. Sure. For this show. <laughs> for the, for the, like you should just watch it again anyway for your Touch of Evil episode that I saw is on the list. Touch of Evil is on the list, totally. Yeah, yeah so yeah. just watch it before that because the thing with all of Wells's films that I've seen is that uh, they they don't feel like homework. He was a consummate entertainer, right? So, right. Like Citizen Kane is super fun, 
despite the fact that it has this ridiculous reputation, this very absurd reputation. It's yeah. like the greatest movie ever made. Yeah, as you say about Wells, I, I thought about that when I was watching this this film because he is just the most entertaining man to watch. He's just he's an, he's an, an impossible character. Like he just <laughs> he, he can't be real. He like every be. time I. Th- Every time I even think about Orson Welles, I go, nah, he's that's not a real person. No, he's not a real person. I, I, I absolutely agree. Like, it's really funny like, like watching this because to me, Orson Welles is a mythic figure. He's not a person that ever existed. He's like a fiction that, that, he is. that existed in the kind of like golden age of Hollywood that was so big of a character and so kind of like a polyglot or whatever, you know, like... Um, polymath, sorry, not polyglot, but like he, um, he's, he's both of both of those. But probably, yeah. Like, um, well, of course he was, yeah. And uh, that it, I don't know him as a human. I can't imagine him being in a room with other people. No, can you imagine him like like peeing or something? No. Like that? <laughs> <laughs> like I just can't imagine him being normal for even two seconds. <laughs> and the flashes of his life you get in this film, like when he's got the muscles and he gives it to the waiter and he asks for like the steak now. It's just- so I'm gonna. <laughs> uh, I'm re- I was reading his Wikipedia article when I was waiting for you to get on the call, and I I, I always remember I always like I I've known uh, you know I went through the same phase maybe you're going through now back I don't even remember when uh, and got it like interested in what this guy was all about and yeah. his childhood is even it's a little bit like Bruce Lee where it's like his childhood is, is insane. Sure. And like, sure. so his, of course, he grew up to sure be this bizarre, <laughs> impossible human being. Because his childhood, like, you read one paragraph and you're like, "What the fuck? How was this a person's life ever?" Um, uh, what was I going with this? I actually fell asleep watching this film <laughs> on, on Tuesday night. <laughs> this is only um, 88 minutes as well. <laughs> it's a short film. It's very entertaining. It the, is. Uh, it's very quick like pace wise there's a lot going on and uh i was just exhausted from all types of stuff and i did uh, uh i was living my best life sitting by myself watching late period wells films with a beer and <laughs> oh, just yes. fell asleep in my chair like the geriatric fuck that i am uh so i missed a good 20 or 30 minutes of the movie <laughs> the first the first time i watched it and was therefore quite confused um by particularly the writer character and how he was involved at all and why Howard Hughes kept coming up. I couldn't piece that sure. together this, <laughs> even yeah. a little bit. I've got, uh, a co- I've got a confession to make, a little bit of confession ahead. anyway. Go ahead. When go I go often go. do this podcast, I often watch the film the night before. Right. But um, I'm normally kind of sitting here just trying to type, you know, five words about archaeology onto a Word document. And uh, right. so I don't normally start watching the film for the podcast. Whilst I'll, I'll watch other films and stuff like that, for the podcast, I want to just just watch that film. I right. often don't do that until past midnight. So it's oh, normally that's like not smart. I know, <laughs> like, but it's it's become like a, a, a like a schedule almost that right. kind of Wednesday night, I'll, like around midnight, I'll put the film on, and that's Jesus. and that started breaking down when we decided to Barry Lyndon. So right, of that was that was not going to happen. So I'm now <laughs> no. trying to find like I need to find like another schedule part to put this like film block in. So I pay attention right. to something really. I, mine was not. Well, I was. It was not nearly that late. <laughs> I don't know. I think the film the, like the 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 I, I had been uh, working on other stuff and and doing all types of crap. So I was just tired 
generally. Yeah. And then the one, the the one, the only one beer was apparently enough. <laughs> it's just enough. Uh, yeah, and I think just way. the the pace and like density of this movie. Yeah. Was like just it was just too much. And it's, I just, I just shut off. It's so dense. It's like yeah. it is so dense, and he weaves like that narrative continuously to the point that I kind of want to watch it again to make sure I got the, it right because it, right. it, it does a classic kind of A B plot. Whereas it, right. you know, when one A plot rises and gets to its peak of interest, it will drop it and go to the B plot and rise that one up again, and then jump. You know, there's similar that. Right. But it does that with like six threads easily. Right. So, and they do all tie together, especially in the way Wells is obviously thinking about this. But right, it's It's more like a thematic connection rather than a plot connection. Than a plot connection, yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's not the, uh, not the easiest thing to kind of just sit down and absorb. I think all in one, but isn't Orson Welles just the most entertaining man that exists? He's just so fun to watch. Such a hammy. He's such a ridiculous hammy bitch. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I could watch him do magic forever. The oh first goodness. I could I could literally watch the first ten minutes of this on yes. a loop until I'm dead and nothing yes. else, nothing else, and be completely happy. Oh God, me too. I was so happy by the end of yeah. this film. I'm it's really such so a happy. beautiful scene. It's everything that's great about him. I, I'm pretty sure one of the reasons I had his Wikipedia uh, article open was that one of the legends about him, of which in the film world there are many, because sure. obviously. Uh, he's somebody that we all like wish we were essentially yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah uh is that he learned magic from Houdini of course that would be the of course that would be the legend but why I don't think that's true why wouldn't why wouldn't that be true that's fine of course he learned Wikipedia magic. doesn't yeah, seem like... to mention hold on I'm gonna control F Houdini here nope no, uh... no wait nope he um did you know that Orson Welles had a TV show called Orson Welles magic show that um, he filmed between like the sixties and eighties, but I don't think it would ever. I don't think it ever was even shown. I oh, know. I think you can buy it on DVD. I think you can buy it on DVD. And it's just I missed. Hit. I missed a little bit of that because you cut out. Did you say he filmed like a t- magic TV show? Yeah, he. Um, it was called Orson Welles's Magic Show, and it was between seventy six and eighty five, and he would do magic no. tricks on camera. And he like his big promise was that no like camera tricks were in it. Um. I, well, you can't believe him on that, can you? No, you can't believe him on that at all. <laughs> Um, but I think I don't know if it exists. I don't know if it was ever released or if it exists to see or anything. But I just, I don't, it's it's awesome. Wells, he just, it's like this type of guy who has projects that just exist in a vault somewhere. I don't like it's like <laughs> Prince or something. Like just one of those guys that just just seem to do everything. And I'm not, I just don't even know if it was shown on TV. I don't know if anyone watched it. But I know like it's something that you can see on like IMDb or whatever that he had a magic wow. show. And I, I would watch I mean, that. I would. I would definitely watch that. Okay, okay, You're- okay. I, I'm I'm just reading about this. I've got it slightly wrong. It's okay. a television special, so it's not okay. a series. It's a special, right? And he filmed it between seventy six and eighty five. So it wasn't right. on then. It just took him that long to put something together for twenty seven. Yeah, minutes. this in this period of his life, he was uh, yeah. at basically uh, had all these long gestating projects that he couldn't quite land, probably because he was too too overweight <laughs> to, yeah. to to do them. But uh, the other one which I'm sure we'll get into a bit. I don't know if you've seen is The Other Side of the Wind. Uh, I haven't seen that. No, I didn't watch it when it got released. It is it is incredible. Okay. I like personally when I first watched it I liked it even more than this. Okay. But I didn't I I wasn't tired. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but I think it's 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 uh um so for people who don't know, it came out on Netflix only like last year. Yeah, last uh, year. Because he couldn't yeah. he literally physically couldn't finish it for both 
uh, largely for legal reasons, but the uh, the editing is even more extreme than in this film. Okay. And my personal theory is that it would have been literally impossible to edit um, as he want uh, on a on a flatbed, as you see in this film. He, he's in the editing room. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, with yeah. how with how people used to edit, and the the editing is so intricate, and there's so much footage in the other side of the wind that I think it was physically impossible until you had uh, you know digital editing digital platforms editing, to. Yeah to yeah, be able yeah. to even do it. So he was just that far ahead of his time yeah. that it, it couldn't even be done. Whereas this one, he barely managed to like pull it all together, which is an incredible. It's feat. an incredible act of editing. Um, it, yeah. Like just the fact that it's physical editing. That's what's always baffles me. Like the, I've, I've never, never edited anything in my life. Well, you know, some digital stuff, but, but I never edited anything kind of physical like that. And that idea that someone can do that to me is like a magic trick to me that's how i that's how i learned how to edit actually was it just on a physical bay yeah yeah on the same machine that he was using there on a, on a steambeck flatbed editor with film and there was a bit uh only for like the first year of film school and then we moved on to to digital so they started with that um i don't i'm not really sure why i'm i'm not that old <laughs> so it was <laughs> it was a little bit it was this was in like the early 2000s so it was still a little bit odd that's weird to be doing yeah, uh, it, I mean, HD video didn't really exist yet, so it was in a transitional period um, where video still looked like total shit. Um, yeah, sure. And and this particular film school um, was very married to uh, to celluloid. There's a scene in this in Effer Fake where uh, he shows the film like unraveling from the yes um, yeah, 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 from the yeah, sprocket, yeah, yeah. and that yeah. just brought that brought back like traumatic memories because uh, <laughs> that's something that that. that you know, happened a lot. And every time it did, you'd want to die. Oh God, I can imagine. I can absolutely yeah. imagine. But yeah, it's a lot easier that, now because he's like floating, like, um, documentary footage that's shot by, uh, this, the French guy whose name's just gone out of my head. I would have told you it if you asked me a second ago. Um, oh, no, I had it, I had it up before. It's almost like uh, a German Reichenbach, name, it? Francois Reichenbach. Yeah. It's a German um, name. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he shot a lot of the footage with just, um, I would say quite a low quality camera, actually. Um, yeah, it's like 16 mil, it looks like. Yeah. It might be even Super 8. It might be Super 8, yeah. Um, and he had this kind of footage kind of lying around. Orson Welles became kind of interested in the footage that he shot, and then Orson Welles kind of took that and shot a ton of stuff himself to go into that. And his girlfriend right. at the time, um, who was the well, Odger, uh, who's yeah. uh, an artist in her own right, then also shot and directed scenes for this film as well. Right. Um, and then you kind of got those three layers coming in. Should we and- try and describe what the film is briefly? It was initially, it, the, uh, the project started out as a fairly straightforward documentary about a famous art forger yeah. um, who I'd never heard of. No. Um, by another person. That other person brought in Wells for some reason. Yeah. That's unclear. Uh, Wells thought it was fun so he starts editing it while they're editing it they find out that the guy writing the uh, another character in the film who was writing a book about the art forger himself uh, made a fake autobiography a fake biography of Howard Hughes yeah so that's Clifford Irving who Clifford Irving is quite famous I I do know that's the bit I've I had never heard of any of this. That's the uh, bit I fell asleep through so I was completely lost (laughs) there's a Richard Gere plays him in a film um, oh really? Called Hoax, I think it's called. I might be wrong. Okay, name, but yeah, I've seen that film about Clifford Irving. 
weirdly enough. Okay, so so Orson Welles finds out that while he's editing this other footage, quite rightly, is fascinated yeah. by the various levels of hoaxes and yeah. fakery going on. Sees himself clearly a little bit in these two guys. Absolutely, that's what gets fascinating about this. That he starts, he starts kind of investigating his own kind of relationship with. And so, at some at some point, it becomes slightly autobiographical without Mm. getting too lost in the weeds uh, in in those regards. And then, uh, while he's editing it, he gets fascinated by that, and then it becomes a bit of an essay. Uh, told largely through direct to camera address and Orson Welles voiceover about you know uh, the nature of art yep. uh, and forgery, forgery and the, the, soul, the souls or... of the souls of men and the universe yeah. as the film goes on. It's uh, yeah. and it's technically his last film, really. Well, no, no longer because no the longer other side because of the wind did, did, did finally come out. But until that came out, this was the last film that he ever directed. It wasn't last yeah. time he starred in because everyone knows that he's in Transformers. <laughs> that's, that's but, yeah that's the best part of film history yep the, the most important part of film history that he plays a planet-eating robot um <laughs> whatever it was whatever yeah. um, omnicon i'm gonna kill but ollie is such a transformers fan like he's gonna kill me that i don't know uh, i loved it, this this is one of those films uh uh transformers the movie i loved it when i was like five it yes. was my favorite movie of all time my mother can tell you about how she had to watch it and she hated me uh for having to watch it uh and all this kind of stuff uh, and then I tried to watch it again, like when I was 19 or 20, and realized, oh, this is terrible. I never need to think about this ever again. <laughs> I'm going to get shot for saying this, but yeah, I agree. I tried to watch it later on and just gone. Oh, it's awful. Why would you get shot? It's it's for kids. People it was a dumb, cheap fucking cartoon. Like, people absolutely love it. It's like when I said the Why? Goonies isn't very good and everyone got angry at me. <laughs> like, Who gives a shit? Grow the fuck up. Just, I'm, it's so stupid. Like, it's, it's, Self-confessed it's okay. a film snob, Brandon Cran is our guest this week. Yeah, yeah total film snob. Uh, but it's okay that stuff that you liked when you were a kid, you don't like when you're an adult. That's totally agree. fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's... That doesn't mean that liking it as a kid wasn't correct. Wasn't, wasn't like, valid, yeah. Yeah, of course I liked it when I was a kid. It was robots fighting it in space. It was made That's for fucking me great. as a kid, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's an, uh, an action scene. I love that Orson Welles' last credit inclu- is in a movie that includes an action scene uh, set to a Weird Al song, uh, Dare to be Stupid. Oh, my God. Which is so funny and so bad. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, it's yeah. so odd. It, that's, should... that's the point where I went, never mind. This is such. I like. This has got no structure to it. This episode already. Like, no, um, well, the film does. The film barely like, does anyway. We're doing. We're basically doing F for fake in in terms of a podcast form, just bouncing around yes. like six separate topics that we'll all get yes. back to later. But um, yes, I want to say like normally would just you know the syn- Brandon syn- synopsized is that a word uh, the film briefly then like um, but uh, normally would drop a trailer in. There isn't a trailer for this film. Oh, there is. He made a separate one, like a nine-minute long short He made a nine-minute short to advertise which, this film. Which so. I didn't know about until 20 minutes ago. And yeah. I'm dying to, the second this is over, I'm going to YouTube to watch it. Well, we all know what the critics have said about the movie. Our movie coming soon to this theater. Delicious. Delirious. Delightful. Go on. I'm quoting the critics. They've acclaimed it as a cinematic... <laughs> More than one movie director was involved in these proceedings. One of them was Mr. Howard Hughes. He really... He really was a movie director, once. And he really did play an important part in this movie. I'm sorry, before he died, that is. Ladies and gentlemen, by way of introduction, this is a film about trickery and fraud. About lies. 
It's incredible. And it, I say, and it's this nine minute short is in, composed of entirely new material. None of it's in the film. Um, Amazing. So it's that's the trailer for this film. I will also say as well, and I would drop this on Twitter before this episode drops. This film is available to watch on on YouTube for free. And is it? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It's on YouTube. The whole of it. Um, Why? I don't know. <laughs> I paid. I paid for it. What the hell? It's been on since it's been on since 2014. So it's not like that anyone's run to kind of remove it or criteria I mean, yeah, or ever really, published it. Who, like, but who cares at this point? Yeah, but um. I, I would honestly tell people to, to check it out. Let's just talk about it now. I was going to say we'll talk about it later. Let's just talk about it now. This film is not a documentary. This film is not a film narrative. This film is a film essay. And it's like yes. he invented film. It's like Orson Welles in 1970s invented YouTube film essays at this he point He was so time. far ahead of his time. It's out of, he was always... The, thing, the narrative about Welles, for whatever reason, is that he was like a child prodigy who made one good movie and then fell off the map. Oh, and, really? God, I don't agree with that, but No, but that was never true. That but no. that was like the the in the in the late twentieth century anyway, that's what everyone said. Like, oh he made Kane and then Ambersons fell apart and Lady from Shanghai fell apart and then he just got fat and disappeared to Europe <laughs> and was dr- drunk on all the time and did pee commercials horribly and all this kind of stuff. Um and he is a ridiculous character of a person, but he was also always, always, until the day he died, an incredible filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, and he was always trying to, no matter where he was, no matter how much money he had, whatever the hell was going on, trying to like push the form yeah. past where anyone was yeah. always. Uh, so the other side of the wind is the same again, where, like I said, it's like this film in terms of having this scruffy, weird documentary style, but that one's fully narrative. There's no documentary elements. Um, and it's equally insane and form destroying and ahead of yeah. its time. Uh, sort of inventing like the mockumentary yes, uh, right, genre. Okay. Yeah. Uh, while this one's inventing sort of the personal documentary, not inventing. He's, he, to be fair, he's sort of playing in uh, some French New Wave ground, more okay. or less. Okay. Uh, I would say. But like doing his very much own thing with it. Yeah. It's, um, it's remarkable, really. And when I was like, I was watching this thinking, I have watched YouTube essays, you know, by film critics that are this, you know. This is what a lot of modern kind of, but there none of them are anywhere near this good. Oh no, 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 not at all. Which is um, which is what's weird because he was again uh, dealing with all types of issues, trying to edit this on film, like we said before, which is a billion times harder. A billion. I can I, I can attest to you. Yeah, I can't even imagine uh, per- how you put it together. Honestly, I can't. Putting a film like this uh, with this many different sources and yeah. all the tricks he's trying to play, just editorial, just for fun, not like like brain fuckery just like fun bits of editing yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he's doing yeah. all over the place um on a on a with physical bits of film is is a nightmare and just, I, can't, I can't even think about it some of the stuff he shot you know um it looks so amazing just looks mm. it looks so filmatic that you don't see yeah. this in documentaries you don't see this no. in this type of films you don't see something shot that beautifully it's shot like you know like a narrative film it's and like the stuff about the cathedrals and things like that, it's wonderful. Just absolutely. The wonderful. cathedral scene is one of the ones I fell asleep through. <laughs> sure. And I, I just watched. I basically I knew that I wouldn't be able to say anything interesting if I didn't like rewatch the last thirty minutes before I got on this with yeah. you. So I did, and I'm so glad I did because that scene was was melting my face. Yeah. I couldn't even deal with how great this is. Way later, later in the movie, everybody. Yeah. Maybe yeah, we yeah. should. Try and start at the beginning. Can well, we do that? We will, but I th- like, um, I mean, let's talk about Orson a little bit before we go into the film. Just um, Talking about Orson, you know what I found out? There's a bit in the movie 
where he claims to have been also an itinerant painter in Ireland. Yes. And I thought, yeah. that's bullshit. But it's not. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't. I honestly didn't think this was a documentary at all. His, like, um, in my, yeah, in my I head. I know what you mean. In yeah. my head. Uh, because I've heard of this movie before. And that's why I picked it. I've been wanting to see it for years. Uh, and for, I had just never gotten around to it. Um, and I thought the whole thing was you know, on purpose, uh, bullshit right. for a laugh. I didn't think it had any real elements. So the whole, yeah. th- even while I was watching it, I went, well, he's Come just on. inventing this, yeah, yeah, yeah. this, this painter character. Uh, and it wasn't until after I, uh, looked up the film the next day and went, Oh, Oh no, that guy was, Oh, he wasn't lying. The first hour of this movie is largely real stuff. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And like he, he, when he introduces his own relationship to kind of, to falsities that's really that's when the film kind of really grabbed me and when it, he starts right. talking about himself or starts seeing himself in kind of fakeness or and starting seeing himself in this world because as you've said before like Orson Welles's life is a big kind of mythic thing now we talk about right. him in urban legends like he's not a real person like most people's relationship to Orson Welles will probably be closer to like Pinky and the Brain to actually right, I was Orson thinking Welles that like himself. everyone everyone younger than me yeah only, only know him as the as the thing that Animaniacs is riffing yeah. on yeah, constantly, which is yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, That's, I yeah. mean, it's a funny gag. It's a funny gag. But it's that's who fun. I knew Orson Welles as, like, admittedly, <laughs> like was the was this character that appeared in kind of cartoons because he was so outlandish, you know, with the right. cloak and the hat and the big beard and stuff like that, and the way he speaks and his baritone voice and stuff like, and not nothing to do with him being a real person who makes films <laughs> right. or anything like never was, and. His relationship to using that in this film and talking about that, he was, he was aware of that in the 70s, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually forgot to bring my notebook over because right early on in the film, even in that amazing intro, I want to say, he says something about, he starts talking about himself pretty much right away yeah. as like a tying in all the themes of the film. So he sort of, in the first 10 minutes, sets up the, um, like the, the mission statement of the movie yeah. and then goes into like more traditional, uh, quote unquote, documentary material. Yeah for like the next 30 to 40 minutes or whatever it is before it starts to unravel. Uh, but he says, uh, you know, he start. what did he say? He started at the top and went down yes. uh, from there because he, he'd done the, the Martian radio broadcast mm-hmm. war of the world's gag that people fell for uh, as real, which is true. It's Wait, a true story. It's not actually uh, that true. That's what I found. It's a, it's a little bit true. It's a little it's bit true. It's a little bit true. And that's what I found really fascinating that he puts it into this as well. That he must have known yeah. it was a little bit true. He know, like, But right. he sells the full urban legend in this. <laughs> yes, he does. And he yes. sells it even further than I've heard the urban legend before. You know, he talks Yeah, like, he made up other stuff, yeah. And, um, that, and it, he knows that he's putting that in this film. He knows he's building right. his legend. You know, he's building his like like myth. By, by talking right. about that and I just found that exactly fascinating right. that he's doing that right now yeah it's super fun but he's 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 building on that that weird legend of him that I said before where the in culture he's the guy who made Citizen Kane and then disappeared and got fat yeah yeah disappeared forever. and, and he's, yeah. he's almost making fun of himself yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like in the film he's not at this point in his life uh, he is simultaneously an enormous ego yeah um, uh, who thinks of himself above the laws of gods and men yeah Quite clearly, sure, uh, and sort of is, but sure at the same is, time, yeah. is, and, and at the same time, is aware that he's he seems fully aware that that's total bullshit, and uh, he is a goofy fat man, and he's just gonna, you know what I mean, and tear himself apart in the same moment. He's a he's a lot more um, 
he's a lot less serious than I thought he'd be. Yeah, he's a bit of a prankster. He's kind of is, and like, like I'd love the scenes in this when he's just sitting down, kind of with a crowd of people around, and he's like holding court, telling stories. What a dinner! Like what like, a dinner guest! Oh my god, <laughs> I want to he's, be there. He's like. definitely, he's definitely like one of those all-time, yeah, dead or dead or alive top five dinner guests. Absolutely, just you know, what type of dinner guest when it's one person talks for like two hours and everyone else just stands around, kind of adding <laughs> to his stories, like, but it's no one minds because the guy's got forty thousand stories, and you're not totally sure which ones are true he reminds, right. me of, he reminds me of a guy i know called um maybe i shouldn't name him but he's he's, he's don't he's, say he's, it's bob he's passed now anyway but he was an italian okay. archaeologist um and okay. i knew him at the end of his life when i met him in amman okay. and we would, we would go and see him and he would take us out for dinners and he was a he was a big guy as well and older and he would tell us stories about his life as an archaeologist and the thing he started telling us at the end of his life was the fact that he was a spy like against the Soviets for the Americans during like the Cold War um, because he spoke Russian I think his wife was Russian or Ukrainian or something but um, he had interest in the archaeology in that region especially in the Middle East so Iran and stuff like that he would go to a lot in Afghanistan and that kind of area um, to, to do archaeological survey but who better than an archaeologist to go into places with a bunch of recording equipment and right. go into places where you wouldn't expect other humans to go. So he was tell why, us. Is this why you're an archaeologist? Oh, it's absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually a spy. That's what I'm admitting to. Awesome. But so it's would, like the Indiana Jones School of Archaeology. Yeah, absolutely. But he would tell awesome. us these stories about being a spy and and going to spy on the Russians and stuff like that, and the things he'd seen and the things he'd recorded and stuff. And he, I was never really sure if his stories were true or not. But right. like, you couldn't. There, there had to be something to them. Like no one can, like no one can tell a story the way he was without having some element of truth to it. But I'm right. sure, like Orson, he realised to make a good story, you kind of play with the facts anyway. You got to spin that yarn a little bit. A little bit, you got to. Otherwise, people are not yeah. going to keep listening to you. And it's boring. Like, and... So let's just make up the whole rest of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. <laughs> but that's why this. Like, I felt like, like this film's like impossible to review for that reason. It's it's in a little bit. It's like it's impo- Like it's not. It's not obviously not designed for that. They very much don't care what experts think. This is the whole thesis. If there's a villain in this film, it's the idea of the expert. I think um, it's almost the idea that 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 art has monetary value at all. Yeah, sure. Is is sort of the villain of this film in in a certain way. I was wa- when I was watching it again, less uh, less tired a minute ago, a few minutes ago now. Um, and at the end of the film, he was talking about this very idea about uh, uh, the art, the fake artists duping the experts. So that means the experts are are the true forgers, yes, or the true the true fakes because they can't tell the difference. So what difference does it make? Yeah. Uh, and there's one amazing bit of documentary footage of the forger artist whose name we haven't even said yet. We'll get to uh, it. We're talking around, his, and we'll do the film. We'll do the. Film. What's his name? What's his name? Elmer. Elmi. Elmer. Elmir yeah. is the is the main character really yeah. of the film. Uh, who's this who's this forger who apparently has the ability to kind of effortlessly mimic uh, famous artists, which is pretty incredible. And they make a point of saying that's pretty incredible. Over Almost over any as well. He didn't seem to be that kind of fixed. He did a lot of like Modigliani and Picasso and. Um, he doesn't seem to care. Yeah, he can he do it seem, all. Yeah, he just seems to do whatever people order, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he he makes this point where uh, when they transition to talking about Picasso for the last like twenty minutes, mm-hmm. where Picasso has this ability to 
within 10 seconds of putting his hand on a piece of paper and just making a line, sure. turning it into gold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it goes from uh, a pencil and a paper to a million dollars instantaneously. And he, he says, even Rockefeller couldn't do that. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an amazing line. But then it, it calls into question like, well, why? Yeah, well, like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I get, I get his Picasso. He's a brilliant artist. I'm not questioning that at all. All the artists mentioned are amazing. All their work is amazing. But so is Orson Welles's, and you wouldn't pay a million dollars to watch Citizen Kane. No, no, that no, doesn't no, make no, any no. sense. No, that's no. insane. Uh, so, like the idea that you anyone needs to spend ever in the world tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or whatever to have a Picasso or a Da Vinci or a Banksy or whatever the hell is ludicrous. Well, it's it's funny about it's funny that. There's so many threads that we can talk about, and yes. like, but yeah. it's it's funny how like he um, it, it's it's that the need for like the originals to be what you own, whereas right. if I watch Citizen Kane, I don't need the original reel to be. There the is no original. Film I watch, you know, like in, in well in modern films, there's definitely no original. No, it doesn't period. exist as a. As there's a physical a, the films don't films yeah. don't work that way. Music doesn't work that way. It's only paintings. It's really only paintings, that work that yeah, way. that work that way. And yeah. like the whole kind of point about this film is is does it matter? Like it doesn't. It like if if this guy draws a Picasso and it looks like a Picasso and people have said it's a Picasso and it smells like a Picasso and people right. have put hung it up, is it not a Picasso? Like right. at that point. And of course it is. It's very hard to argue against the thesis of that film, like in the way they yeah. present it. Like, yeah, and to I love it, but like, no, he's he's dead right though. And I do like the. It's sort of unfortunate to watch that thread of this film in 2020, where mm-hmm. the thread is like, "Well, experts are bullshit." Yes, I um, wanted to is, talk about that. You've nailed it. I was yes. so fascinated about that. Was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you take that in the context of today, like if someone made that comment in a film today. You'd be like, oh, you, you cringy bitch. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah, hate yeah, yeah. you so much. But yes. he's, he's talking about a specific topic, uh, you know, in 1973 when not as much was necessarily on the line. But there is this, <laughs> like, you see the seeds of our kind of experts of bullshit culture now in the kind right. of liberal art movement then. Right. Like, in this That's kind true. of, like, how dare you judge my art because, you, you know, you, you, are, you are nothing, you know, you don't know anything, you don't have expertise. How dare you judge my art? Art is just art. And then right. you see how that percolated kind of through society to the point of how dare you kind of tell me anything. How, you know, right. I can do my own research on the internet. I can learn about vaccines myself or I can, you know, learn about right. my own politics or something. You know, how dare you think you can talk for me? And it's definitely exactly the right. same thread. It's the same thing. It's the same. Yeah, I was. it's a, it's a mixed emotion watching those scenes yeah, now. Because yeah. at, at the time, you would you would be watching that you, the audience of the liberal art lover. Yeah. Uh, like smugly going, yeah, damn right, Orson Welles. Damn right, yeah. Orson. Yeah, yeah, totally. Get, get those, take those experts and drag them to hell. Yeah, Orson, yeah. Fuck yeah. And now I'm watching it going, ooh, I don't know, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch it go, <laughs> I don't agree. Like, I don't agree. I don't. I, I, I have a different opinion that has formed in the past, like, 40 years since you made this one. Right. How long it's been. Exactly like, right. Like, definitely. Times change. It's interesting. I, I, it's interesting that there's a whole... A whole a, like an artist like Orson made a whole film about what is art at the end. Uh, about, 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 about fake news. It's even in the title. Yeah. Yeah. About fake news, about kind of like fakety, about what that means. Like what makes you real? Like what's the quote? Is it, is it, um, is it Vonnegut? Is this quote? I might get it wrong, but is it careful? Who you be- Careful who you pretend you are because that's like who you are. 
or careful, Ooh, careful who you pretend to be. I think the quote is. I might have to look it up, but look I, it up. It sounds it sounds Vonnegut-ish. Yeah, Kurt Vonnegut. We are we oh. are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful what we pretend to be. There you go. And I and and, and I, I think about that a lot in life, actually. Yeah. Um, and I think the kind of that this film gets at that kind of stuff like if this film is pretending to be a Picasso then it's a Picasso if he's guys an artist right. are you an artist are you you know if it, it did it to God bouncing around this film Howard Hughes is that Howard Hughes on the voice male or not does it matter that's the part that's the part I, I largely missed and yeah. I, I didn't I didn't I was confused because I think I like woke up for a bit and was like <laughs> what, what, what the fuck is he talking about Howard Hughes now and and then I thought I think I wrote this down in my notes is he talking about Howard, Howard Hughes because that's who Citizen Kane is based on? And then I, because I always make this mistake, um, um, and they talk about it in the film. But in my head, Citizen Kane was always loosely based on Howard Hughes. Okay, um, but obviously it wasn't. It was, uh, and I, I, I go through this debate in my head almost every single time I think about Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> like I go, right, this is Howard Hughes, right? Uh, like when The Aviator came out, I went, oh yeah. It's oh yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh yeah, it's about Citizen Kane, right? And I was like, oh no, 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 that was uh, William Randolph Hearst. Yes. That was the other crazy, the other rich crazy guy. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, but it's funny that uh, Citizen Kane started out as maybe being about Howard Hughes, and they switched it sure. to being about, or at least that's what he says in this film. That might not be true at all. It might not be true at all. I, I found it interesting when he was talking about like. Howard Hughes, because he Orson is no doubt a guy who kind of knew him to some way or regard. He must he must have passed him at some point. Must have. They could they must have been in the similar sort of circles in that time. They're too they're too similar of a person. Yeah, exactly. Um so I found it interesting that he was talking about Howard Hughes in this kind of same kind of like um phantom aspect of the way we talk about Howard Hughes. Like like does he really exist? What was he doing locked away in that, you know, penthouse suite and like, right. are any of the stories about him true? You know, walking down the road in Kleenex boxes and and right. all the rest of it. And Orson was still doing that and, and, and still presenting, like, does it matter? If if all these stories aren't true, are they not just true because we believe them kind of thing? Right. Which, right. yeah, kind of. Which is funny because that's Orson's life. Like, all the stuff we believe about him might, might not be true, but it's who he is. Like even right. if the so stories he, are not true, he is, who he is. He is the amalgamation of all, yeah. of all this ridiculous shit. And when he turns up at the, I was just thinking about this while you we were talking. I don't know why I triggered this, but when he turns up at the end of the movie with this absurd outfit, with this <laughs> fucking immense pimp hat and this fucking cape and this black suit, like he's turning up as like the myth of Orson Welles. Like he he's full on, full on, like embodying. Yeah everything that you think about him and everything that he wants to be and doesn't want to be and just, and dressing up his very hot girlfriend in the same outfit, yes, yeah. uh, practically like in the mist, um, in the place where I think about it, I think that's all supposed to be shot around the airport in Paris. Oh, okay. And it's the same airport that is, I don't know if this was on purpose, but I could, I kept thinking about La Jete, which also takes place at that same place. Right. Okay. The French film that's yeah. all still photographs. Yes. Um, and yes. that's also yes. a film about time erasing everything. Right. Um, and has a similar aesthetic. I don't know if he did that on purpose or if it was like subconscious. Sure. But it was it that's was pinging off in my brain for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also reminded me about a film that clearly is indebted to this, which it didn't occur to me until now, which was Stories We Tell. Yes. God, yes. Yeah. yeah Massively absolutely. indebted to this, isn't it? God, it is. Yeah. What a good pull. Yeah. I love that documentary. It, yeah. It didn't so, even occur to me until you just started saying, using the word story so much, it pinged. 
Yeah. So yeah, stories we tell for someone that doesn't know is a documentary about about um a, her father's life, isn't it? That it's Sarah Polly. Sarah and, Polly. Yeah. And it's about herself and her family, and I guess also um, Guy Madden's My Winnipeg I've is also ah, uh, it's amazing. Check that out. It's it's a little bit the same where it's a documentary about himself, but it spirals out into a billion other things and sure. is you know funny and silly and edited insanely and whatever. Yeah. Uh, in in this, and I also think that uh, the the now famous uh, Werner Herzog documentary narrations right. owe an awful lot to this movie. Yes, absolutely. Because I absolutely. I don't think before this movie came out, Herzog had started doing that. No. And it's pretty, pretty. It's in the seventies where he starts doing the voiceovers it of his is. docs. Yeah, but I don't know if it was before or after this. And obviously, he gets progressively more ridiculous yeah. and personal with and his wonderful. documentary voice <laughs> and yeah, and silly as the years progress. But I think it Orson Welles was like set the template template for this kind of very personal, unreliable voice narration that has yes. its own character and its own personality and is a character itself in the documentary rather than uh, yeah. uh, an objective observer. And I mean, characters themselves in documentaries are, so, are something that we become really accustomed to in, in right. later documentaries, even stuff like Louis Theroux and stuff like that. They, they, it's, very, sure. it's much more about the kind of, it's not just, sorry, about the topic, but it is about the person in the film as well. Michael Moore sure. is exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah. same. Like, um, yeah. So, like, and that, that wasn't super common before this. No, it was not. Definitely not yeah i was just gonna say because um like, stories we tell you brought up that film's about her like investigating her parents relationship um and during the kind of making or telling of the story it's about the fact that he had an affair and it's how right. they kind of deal with that like deal with that something something she didn't know about her father's life stuff and it's tons of like super eight footage but it's also recreation footage and it's also narrative yeah, it's made stuff, up like, um wonderful yeah, there's yeah, no, it's... there's no real footage in that film. There's no documentary footage. Oh, is it all okay? Is it all recreated? I'm, I'm almost sure that uh, I'd have to watch it again because I watched it when it came out. Mm. I think all the recreations in that movie, or sorry, all of the archive footage that looks like Super Eight home movie footage is all actors. That's amazing. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. So it's a little bit like all the stuff with um, Oja Kodar yes, in this movie, in which this is film. all fake and yeah. all acting. Yeah. Uh, same kind of same, same kind, kind of, of vibe, idea. yeah. Well, I want to talk about the editing actually a bit go more. Go for it, go for the editing. And just we'll, like technically, we'll go the, through. The, I think we'll try and go through like in order a little bit, just to get people to okay. vibe what's going on, and then it will allow. We us haven't to think done that stuff, very like, well, have we? No, it's impo- It's so hard to do with this film. This um, movie is very much a collage. Yes, it yes. doesn't. It doesn't. It, it sort. It has. It feels like it has narrative tra- like momentum mm. and trajectory to it, but it's more like. Um, uh, well, as you say, like an essay. So it's more like the trajectory of Orson Welles's thoughts yeah. uh, that feel connected in the way that a good bit of writing well, it, uh, does. It is. The worst thing you can ever do with kind of narrative or kind of documentary or if you're writing an essay, if you're writing a book, whatever, is to keep doing like, and then. Like, and right. then this happened, and then this happened, no. and then this happened. That's the most boring way to present something. This right. film doesn't do that. This film uses no. the kind of, but, therefore... You know, right. but therefore this happened, but therefore that happened. And right. and by doing that continuously, it just starts kind of layering these ideas and different thoughts over each other that start building up in your head an idea of what they're trying to tell you about this topic. And not just right. not the, necessarily the story of this art forger or the bibliographic forger or Orson himself, but actually more about what it means to be art what does art mean 
it doesn't it doesn't have like a story necessarily no. and and one of my first while i was watching it really sleepy uh i was having less fun with it than when i watched the last 30 minutes just before this because i i sort of wanted in my first viewing there yeah. to be a little bit more a of a bit, narrative yeah. with the particularly with the two forgers yeah like I, I just sort of wanted to know maybe a little bit more about them um my first instincts were like why why am I not getting a little bit of the ABC uh, narrative yes. for uh, Elmir? Um, and it's probably probably because they didn't have the footage for it, really. But it, um, it does dro- and- it do- drops you in kind of media res almost with him, um, yeah. and then it, te- it tells you very little. It, it yeah. basically just says he was a famous art forger. It gives you a tiny bit of backstory bit, very late yeah. in the film, yeah, um, about possibly which also he was just in. says, yeah, well, it also just says he was an art forger. Like it doesn't give you a ton more information yeah it kind so there's of there's not it, it a says ton that of detail possibly almost. in a camp um a holocaust camp or something like that did it say that yeah 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 i missed that completely um but they're not but it's it, this sounds like they don't know and then it starts introducing you the ideas of how he started doing this like he would right. be talking to people at parties and they would mention art, an artist he really likes and then he would call them up and say you know what i found that in this drawer do you want to right. buy it and stuff? And <laughs> and then they'll look at it and go, well, I'm not really interested in that. Um, I would really like kind of, you know, this type of molded Liani or something. And then like half an hour later, he'd phone the back up and say, <laughs> you know, you're right. When you mentioned that on the phone, you just tweaked something in my head. And I remember that I had that in this cupboard kind of thing. Like, and, what and, a scam. And, then, and, that, and he slowly just started getting, obviously selling to people who were willing to not ask the question about where it came from because they want the art like well it's hard to believe that somebody could be that good at forging is another part yeah, that yeah, the, yeah, film yeah. Does, the film sort of it never says it in those terms but it 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 says what you said earlier where which was if you can't tell the difference then there is no difference yeah but the the level of skill that guy clearly had as an artist but nobody wanted his original art wasn't very good or wasn't super interesting or just didn't make as much money Later on, he um he does a self-portrait of Michelangelo. He calls it a self-portrait because Michelangelo started as an art forger, even though it wasn't called that back in the day. But he would, I didn't know that. But he would copy kind of other artists and do recreations of other artists stuff like that until he got the confidence to do his own kind of art. And it's a great way to learn. It is, yeah. And he in Elmer Elmer's argument with the Michelangelo portrait is the fact that he um you know. All artists are kind of forgers to a point. This is at some point sure. your own art gets then appreciated. And I think it is true. At some point, everyone, when you start doing anything creative, you copy what you see. You know, you right for sure. You know, you you liked that filmmaker, so you'll make a film in that style. You you know, you you copy movements and and pics of writing you've you've seen and jokes and stuff like that. And eventually, by doing that over and over again, that your your own voice emerges through that. And For sure. it's true that you're allowed to do that in a lot of creative industries. You're not allowed to do that in art, funnily enough. Like, and I think that was the argument that he was making. I like the bit where he, he went, there was a bit when he was younger, when he was in America, Elmir. And uh, he, he started by trying to sell his own art. He seemed like he was very young. And yeah. that's what they were implying, like in his 20s, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, and that wasn't working. So he just kind of by happenstance started selling these fakes and then like he was able to live but he had to keep moving so he didn't get caught by the police yeah yeah and <laughs> there's that running plot in this that you're not allowed to say to him that anything he's done is illegal because he bites your head off and he's like i've done nothing illegal all i've done is kind of um there's an, in- there's an incredible bit uh near the end of the film where there's a um 
someone asks if uh, sorry they talk about french law yeah. Because for whatever reason, it's France that's supposed to arrest him instead of anybody else. That's unclear. Yeah, that is unclear, um, actually. You're right. Yeah, because yeah, he's living in whatever Ibiza. Reason, or Ibiza. Yeah, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, the French government has something on him maybe more tangible than, than the United States or Spain or anybody else. Well, there's a lot of um, information in this that he sold to museums. And right. like a lot of stuff hanging in museums is his stuff. And you right. don't know if it's true or not, but it right. probably is. Like well, no, that, so like, maybe he defrauded maybe one of his bigger frauds that they don't really get into in this film was maybe at an auction house in Paris or something. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. If he if he pissed off the wrong people, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, who have money, then then that would be a problem. So let's assume that's what happened. Yeah. Let's um, assume. <laughs> anyway, France was trying to get him and he's in Spain. Uh and there's no there's no I guess there is probably extradition between the two countries, but they didn't have quite enough evidence because France needs two witnesses to say definitely they saw him do sure you know paint the thing sign the thing and sell the thing yes and he never did all of those three things in front of two people yes there's a big argument later on the only argument you see between Irving who's the bibliographer and and Elmir about signing the pictures and he and Elmir Elmir's like I've never ever signed a picture like and that's his argument that he's never done anything illegal because you're allowed to paint whatever you want to paint but if you sign it with like Picasso, then right. you're then trying to defraud people, and right? Which his, is true. Like, which, yeah. is, which is a completely fair legal distinction. Yeah, which is a legal distinction. That's his argument that he's never signed anything. I don't think what? he's telling the truth. I think he's probably no. Signed he's, a t- lot. he's completely he's <laughs> but, completely lying there. Yeah, he's <laughs> completely lying. But what's brilliant about that scene is that the editing is hilarious. It's um, it's pretending to be a back and forth, and it's clearly not. So it's yes. pretending to be a shot, reverse yes, shot of a is, conversation, yeah. but it's clearly two separate interviews. It's two separate interviews. You're right. Yeah. And he has this, right. he has this ticking, he has this ticking clock on the soundtrack. Yeah. And he just cuts back and forth between these like really awkward looks that they gave during their interviews, during the interviews which yeah. makes it, which makes it feel like an awkward, it's brilliant filmmaking. It's like modern, um, that's like modern reality TV editing. Like what they yes, do in like. Yes. A hundred percent. He nails it, and the I I was feeling tense, even though I knew what was going on. You know what? It wasn't until you said that right now that I really realised it was a back and forth like that. I kind of just watched it as a scene of them talking and arguing. That's what I mean. That's how good he is. Yeah, that's and and a lot of this film, a lot of this film uses this free form, uh, really sharp really really clever and creative editing mm. to like pull to drag the audience along and have fun uh, another great example is uh from the same uh, from near the end of the film is uh when he brings picasso in as a character and he keeps using still photos of picasso yeah uh, as reaction shots to what's going on yes which yes. is so theatrical and so ridiculous but it works so well because his rhythm as an editor he orson welles edited most of this himself yeah it which is have, insane. Which is insane. Uh, it must have taken so long. It's 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 nuts. And he did the same thing for Other Side of the Wind, which again was what killed him essentially because yeah. he couldn't do it. Couldn't do uh, it. But the bits the bits that he did edit that are still his that the I, I read a lot about it because I was so blown away by the editing of that film. Um, and this one again, uh, the the person who gets the editing credit with him on Other Side of the Wind, who who did you know reconstructed everything digitally essentially. Sure. Uh, said there are a lot of scenes that he didn't change at all. He just brought them in and left them as Wells had intended and then tried to cut the rest of the film with, you know, in that way. Right. Um, and, and those scenes are amazing. The editing is beautiful. It's so 
dense and sharp and yeah. funny and quick. And as someone who I'm mainly an editor now, right. uh, watching that and just getting floored by how precise, <laughs> how precise his editing is and how like the amount of creative flair uh, that is in his editing. Uh, that's very like theatrical and obvious, but that feels natural at the same time. Yeah. You know, it does. It feels organic. It feels like the film just flowed together. I think by the Which fact Which it doesn't. That it's, it's insane. No, it's it such a collage and he makes it flow. Yeah. That's crazy. It feels like it always had to fall this way. Like it, it feels right. like, you know, it, there was no other way to put it together. It just it naturally right. felt this way. And it, of course it doesn't, but like, I no, think it was a process of a lot of experimentation on his part. What I find really interesting. And I wrote a note about this and I can't, I don't think, I don't know if I had to find it in my notes. Cause I wrote a lot, of notes <laughs> for this. but um, he, um, most of the film from Orson's point of view is set in the editing bay. And I found that like a fascinating um, decision to make. Right. Because yes. He would have to have made that decision prior to doing any of the filming for that to put it no, together. I don't, like, or do you mean prior to the filming of those scenes where he's in the in the editing room? Sure, yeah. He he would have had to make he, like, or was this something maybe when he was trying to throw this all collage footage together in the editing room that this came thing just kind of started emerging through his brain well, because, through the editing, uh, and he wanted to. I, 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 I think so. You get the, like we talked about, it started out as somebody else's project and then mm. it kind of built up over a long period of time, I get the impression. Um, I, I didn't get through the whole like history of the film, but it seems like there was a lot of back and forth about what it was and and this sort of new form of filmmaking sure. uh, that he was that he was experimenting with. And, and it is experimental. Um, was something that came to him organically while making it. Like he didn't start the film with that in mind. No, no. Uh, so... The magic trick bit at the beginning, all the stuff with uh, Oja Kodar at the end, and these voiceover bits, all s- must have come later. They must, I have. assume. And like most yeah. of his narration is actually done on screen. There is voiceover, but a lot of it is him talking to the camera, and yeah, and like surrounded by these reels of tapes, and it feels <laughs> like it gives this impression of this film being in real time. It, it gives right, like, yeah. like everything is just happening around him, and he's putting this all together. It's it's great bit of like work yeah you have to think about like there's all that bit where he'll be talking in the editing room and then he'll comment on what just happened yeah. and then he'll say let's watch it yeah yeah and, yeah, he'll, yeah and he'll and he'll operate the steam back to show it again yes. in the in the viewfinder of the of the editing, of the editing machine. machine yeah totally. and uh yeah. But, but the amount of like thought that goes into like i gotta get this clip from the original film put that together that i want to say this so i'm going to film myself saying this and i want to tie it back to this footage so i'm going to film myself editing it or playing with the edit yeah. and then go back into the real footage. That's fucking mental. It's mental. Mental. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, Especially because uh, it's done on film. It's mental to do it yeah. digitally, but to do it like yeah. on actual film. Well, in, in <laughs> the diff- yeah, that's you're, you're dead right. Because digitally, uh, you know, younger filmmakers, myself included, but uh, we, we have the, and he would have loved this, I'm sure, oh, God, have I the know. opportunity to just bring a butt ton of footage into our computers and just start playing with it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. throw everything around. And that's younger people who are like only learn digital editing. So like Ollie and younger, um, they, they uh, are a little bit less. Uh, I'm like more nervous early on in the editing process, like about trying to get my yeah, selects right sure. uh, because I learned on film. So um, that's just like my, uh, uh, how I learned 
it's not better. It's just how I learn. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. like I, I, I start out going like, I'm just definitely going to use this part of the shot. So put that in the timeline and then go back to my raw footage. And I'm going to select exactly that part of the shot and put that in the timeline. Whereas Ollie will be like, I'll just throw everything in the timeline and look around and fudge with it and fuck with it. Uh, and, and I think that's what Orson Welles would have liked to do. Yeah. I, I can, it's, I, it's just yeah. chuck it all around and see what happens. It would have been probably completely crazy to see what he would have done with anything like that. But, yeah, definitely it's it's mental and I, I just think it's just like even when like you were saying like he even does stuff like he'll introduce plot points and go like no that's not for now we'll get back to that later like but <laughs> yeah. like remember that but we're coming back to that because now we have to go back over to Ibiza and talk to Irving and look at this guy Irving and and how do you believe him how do you believe a man who writes fake books who's doing a, a fake book on a on a fake artist who forged people and like and which part of this story is real okay now we've dealt with that do you know my film is <laughs> like and it's like- yeah right so he's he's doing like two things at the same time so like his storytelling editing where he's, he's jumping from scene to scene with these sort of like uh organic free form talking points where he goes uh, he, as you said earlier he doesn't say and then this happened he goes this reminds me of this yes and then jumps to that yeah. in a way that feels organic and alive and fun and then at the same time while he's talking he's doing all these editing uh gags where he'll be talking about like is this fake and then the word fake flies across the screen yes. and yes. and then he, and he starts doing this really rapid fire like you said earlier almost youtube era editing uh in these films which again was not easy at the time it's not easy to do well now no. honestly no it's not um, there's plenty of examples still- of people not doing it well Right, yeah, you yeah. look at YouTube or, or uh, well, anything, and people try and do this, like, rapid-fire um, montage editing where it's, like, space aliens and fake this, and yeah. I'm trying to remember other stuff from this film, hot women on the street and whatever else is going on, <laughs> and and me uh, in my silly suit, and here's a magic trick and whatever the fuck else. And he, he'll go bam, 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 and the rhythm of it feels so good and, and, and feels so tight uh, and so fun, whereas... Uh, someone who's not a, a genius like Orson Welles uh, or, you know, someone like me will try and do that. And it just feels a little bit awkward, a little bit out of sync. The, ri- it, the, the joke doesn't quite land. Yeah. And he, he always oh, he makes it land. everything. He lands, yeah. you know when he's funny and joking and he lands all that. Like it's, it's warm. And when you said about rhythm, that really made me think actually, this film does, has like a rhythm through it. It doesn't actually, yeah. the tempo doesn't really change actually. It just has this. It's the, very musical. Yeah, yeah. It has this kind of rhythm with it and it allows you just to kind of sit in and sync with it much better than it would do, I think, if it was just a stale kind of documentary from the 70s really that I probably wouldn't have watched really. Um, no, no, he was always really had an internal rhythm as a as a storyteller which is something you know that doesn't get mentioned um but it's there in all that's why his films are so good mm. um is that is that he knows when is he just he see he seems I, I don't know to have sure. a natural like ability to know um the scene is now too long right. that's short you know what i mean no yeah, scene ever is sure. no no scene in no scene in citizen kane feels too long <laughs> uh no shot feels too long no music cue feels out of place and even on his films where there was like more problems with the studio or they didn't yeah. quite work, you know, quite as polished or later in his career like this where he doesn't have the money. So everything looks a bit cheap. Mm. Uh, that rhythm is still there always. That's a good point, actually. Some context for him at this time is because he kind of fell out with Hollywood at this point, largely. He fell out with Hollywood Way in earlier. the 40s, frankly, but he... um. He, kept, he keeps leaving Hollywood and kind of coming back to it and leaving and coming back to it. And the, was it... 
Is it Chimes at Midnight would be the film he kind of did before this, or is there, there probably other smaller I stuff? Think, I think it's that one, and that's the one I want to see the most, because I haven't seen that either. Ah, um, the Falstaff I haven't. Film. Yeah, 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 and I've heard that that one's amazing. Yeah, it's. Um, I know it's the one he was most proud of in yeah. all the films he made. Um, but again, I haven't seen it. I haven't. I don't know Orson Welles more like that well as an actual person. This is one of my first introductions yeah. to him, really, as as anyone who's you know not just a cartoon character, frankly. Yeah, he was. He was always working. He just wasn't. He he gave up on the Hollywood system, and he and by the time you get to the sixties, he clearly much preferred European. Uh, the European industry. Yeah, he was clearly basically you know I mean? from like kind of he does. Um, Chimes at Midnight which was a huge film very successful and people still love it now like it's he then did something called The Immortal Story which was co he was a director and co-screenwriter with a okay. with a um another French filmmaker it's a Don't short story but I've never heard of The Immortal Story at all I can't tell you anything no. about it um, same but it was first broadcast on French television you know like so um, God knows God, and I think it's only 60 minutes long because of that um, but that's that's the release he does that. But between Chimes at Midnight and F is for Fake, what he actually does, he's done a ton of short films. So he does like Merchant right. of Venice, An Evening with Orson Welles, um, like Orson Welles' Jeremiah, Unsung Heroes, uh, okay. Magic Trick, it seems to be something about stuff. He's he's doing TV shows as well at the same kind of time. Um, he's shooting The Land of Don Quixote in the 60s. And, and then he shoots right. Othello. Is that right? Yes, I've I've seen that. In 51, um, but then in 78, he releases the documentary of the filming of Othello. Oh, I didn't know that. He does that in blackface. It's pretty unfortunate. Yeah, sure, yeah. Which is <laughs> kind of odd, actually, because he, um, he does a full... One of these theatre things that he's most famous for is doing an entire stage show of Macbeth, but with um, black actors. And oh, I never that, heard of that. That was done back in the 30s, I think, or something. Oh, like yeah, that. he like, was. He, he always seemed like... Uh, one of the one of our less racist American white people, <laughs> <laughs> which is always nice to see when one of our one of our famed, uh, you know, one of our famed white guys isn't a total racist. Isn't a That's total always racist. nice. The blackface yeah. aside, but yeah, 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 that was a mistake. His Macbeth is pretty good. I've seen his Macbeth film oh, okay. um, from the forties, I think, uh, and it's quite good. Although I, I'm a huge. Right, such a huge fan of Throne of Blood that it, it it's not anywhere near as good, but it's uh, still pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, that it's so it's he, you're right actually. He's, he has got this kind of represent represent. Well, well, I can't even talk anymore. He has got this side like Uh-oh. he has got this kind of you know legend about him that Citizen Kane was made and then he didn't do anything and quite kind of ever again he disappears off the map. But it's not really true when you look through. What no, he it's not true did. at all. Like, and he was always he, he kept trying to. And... He was always working. He kept um, trying to basically. Um, fight the Hollywood system to have another Citizen Kane. Yeah. Um, early on, and that's what went south. So, like Citizen Kane is uh, um, one of those productions that has fairy dust on it. Everybody's happy about it. Yeah. It has, you know, it goes really well. Uh, he gets to do basically whatever he wants, and everybody loves it. And uh, yay, we're all happy at the end. Then he tries Magnificent Ambersons, which is also really good. Um, but not quite as good. And the studio didn't like it as much. He was trying to be, um, he, uh, you know, it went to his head a little bit. I'm sure he would have said at some point. Sure. Um, they were assholes about it. Everyone was assholes about it. 
Uh, it gets released as a shitty version. He doesn't get to ever release it the way he wanted to until much later. Sure. Same thing happens again with Lady from Shanghai a little bit later. I think Journey uh, into Fear, I think the same thing probably happens as well. Um, right. So he, he keeps yeah. trying to like make, make that magic happen again, and it's just not quite working. Yeah, yeah. And if he had maybe um, a different personality or something, he could have made that work, but um, it wasn't going to happen. So eventually he goes, fuck all this, and goes to Europe. And clearly gets very invested in uh, what is happening in the French New Wave and sure. Italian neorealism and just loving that whole universe where you could make an art film feature length yeah. and it would get support you and get some money. money for it. it would get shown somewhere and people would watch it. Yeah. yeah, totally. And you could go to and you could live in a French cafe and yeah. drink two bottles of wine a night and eat fifty steaks and yes. it's all good. And it's all great <laughs> you know? and you could just walk around Paris and you can sit in a bar and tell people stories and stuff like that. And I'm yeah. sure he loved it. I'm sure he absolutely oh, 100%. loved it. Right? And I don't I don't disagree with the man's choice one bit as an American <laughs> who moved to, to Paris. He spoke French quite well as well. He's, um, I've seen. It's funny actually because it's we've just done Stanley Kubrick, and in many ways, it's a similar sort of thing that he had with Studio System, and he yeah, eventually left bit. America, came over to Europe in the same way. Like I'm done with this like commercial stuff. I just want to make films my way and do it and do it that way. Like, yeah, there is a similarity there for sure. It's, um, the, it, the American the American film industry is you know it, it's in a little bit of a box, sure. uh, a little bit of a sandbox. If you can play in that sandbox. It's well all done. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and if and if you don't quite fit in those lines, uh, so for example, Elaine May couldn't quite do it, yeah. like you talked about last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. You're just you're just kicked the fuck out. Yeah, you just stuck. Um, yeah. yeah. So they both quite rightly said, "Well, fuck y'all." <laughs> and, uh, and I am bigger lives. than this. Like literally, they, I am bigger than this. They they both definitely were. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, there's a. Have you ever seen a documentary called Yodorovsky's Dune? Yes, yes absolutely. Uh, Orson Welles shows up in that briefly. Does he? In a, yes, and I laughed so fucking hard because <laughs> I watched that only recently um, uh, because I finally saw a Yodorowsky film right before lockdown happened. I think it was maybe the last film I saw because Holy Mountain got re-released. Oh, you saw it in the um, cinemas? Screened. Wow, okay. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was honestly as vaulted up into one of my favorite films ever made. Awesome. Like instantaneously loved it. Um, uh, and Yodorowsky another guy who made made two films that are insane and but like somehow managed to go well and then the next one didn't go well and it just his whole career imploded after that yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. similar kind of thing where he where he wasn't able to bounce back and wells wasn't able to bounce back yeah. from a bit of failure they maybe they didn't take it well maybe the studio were shitty who knows who knows um, and the idea of anyway, failure anyway. i'm so against this idea of failure in film it, like this, right. we're talking about that well, with this, the lame the, May, the idea that anything's yeah. a failure and it's not like it's it's insane right it's 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 okay to make one bad film and move on with your yeah, life it but, is. you know orson <laughs> wells clearly took it not well yeah yeah <laughs> uh, anyway so uh uh Yodorowsky tried to make an adaptation of dune um which i was i read recently and a uh, hot take it's a bad book and no one should make a movie about it <laughs> but <laughs> i've anyway, never read it i've only ever seen the Lynch so film, so and fucking I, and- bad it's so bad I don't get it. Anyway, <laughs> people love it. Uh, yeah, people love it. I don't. But. I know they do, and that's why I tried. I read through the whole thing, and it took me four months because I hated it so much. <laughs> but <laughs> so you're looking forward to Villeneuve's Dune then? <laughs> I love Denny Villeneuve. I'll watch it regardless because I think he's a genius. <laughs> um, but the, the I, it would probably make a better film because the book is is very poorly written. Anyway, it's a take. Um, I can't say anything. I've not read it. So. 
Yeah, don't worry about it. Anyway, don't bother. I watched the watched the documentary after those two incidences because I thought, well, now I can watch this. And he wanted Orson Welles to play the big fat villain. Oh, you're uh, right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> Jodorowsky describes going to meet Welles in Paris. It yeah. would have been around the same time period. It would have. The, from the early 70s. And he describes him um, like going to the cafe where he eats every day. And he has two bottles. Oh, he's all by himself. He's got two bottles of wine in front of him, like two steaks, like four appetizers, like this ridiculous <laughs> amount of food in front of him. And the second he said he wanted Orson Welles to play this big fat villain, I fell out of my fucking chair laughing because it's just perfect casting. It's so funny. Yeah. He also wanted Salvador Dali to play the other villain. That, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, totally what a great combo. Yeah, that's a what film. a great combo. That's a film. Exactly yeah, right. So anyway, that. Have you seen, we have to drop this in, we've got to put this into this episode. Have you seen the the outtakes of the um, champagne advert that he did? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's, it's legendary. best thing <laughs> that's ever been put on film. <laughs> 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 he's so, uh, like, if you haven't seen it, we must just drop in like a, a section of it, but he's completely drunk. He's obviously been yes. at the champagne before filming. Um, yes. And he, all he has to say is like, <laughs> uh, the, the like French champagne's amazing, but actually we've got really good stuff in America as well. That's basically what the plot of the advert is. Yeah, action, please. Action, awesome, please. You just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Yeah, rolling. One oh two, take two. Ah, the French champagne. And he just the the director goes like like action, and he sits there just completely spaced out. I love I love when he gets pissed off at the director, and he's like, "Are you going to tell me how to direct myself on Orson fucking Wells?" And he just now again wake up and just go. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like a, a a mid-tier commercials director trying to direct Orson trying Welles. Trying to direct Orson Welles, yeah. Oh, Terrifying. About, Terrifying. Like, it's about champagne as well. Trying to tell Orson Welles about champagne. He's like, I don't need you to tell me anything. Like, like, no, I am the king he definitely did not. <laughs> and another great uh, Orson Welles story came from the behind-the-scenes documentary of The Other Side of the Wind. Um, so there's some, there's some like, making-ofs of that on Netflix. Yeah. Also about the same time period. It's also about him eating too much. I love stories of Orson Welles eating too much. It's like comfort for me. It makes me feel happy. I don't know That's why. why. My favorite scene in this film is when he passes the moulet to the waiter and he asks for the steaks. It's just, the, it's so natural. It's no way that wasn't just real. Like No, that's, he's a, he was a, clearly a big overeater. Um, I, I think he was a stress eater. I get the impression. Oh, maybe. That's my guess. Because he yeah. was a thin young man. He and then he makes Citizen man. Kane and starts, yeah, great looking guy. And then... Uh, from Citizen Kane onward, he basically started eating a ton and gaining loads of weight. But anyway, he wears it him. well, though. To be very fair to him, yeah, I think he wears no, yeah, it I mean, really he, well. And he yeah, he, he knows what clothes to put himself. He's got in. the ego, though. Like he just carries that ego with him. So whatever. He's got a great voice and a great mind and a great fashion sense, and that can take you a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but the the person I think is Peter Bogdanovich, maybe describing. Like him at home, you know, not with none of those things happening, like just in his underwear and a t-shirt looking like a big fat fuck. <laughs> and, and he just, apparently he got like these, these, uh, crisps, ch- uh, chips from America that he liked while he was in Europe. I don't know how he got them. They're called Fritos. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, sure. You know what those are? They're like corn chips. Yeah. They're really shitty. 
And he was like, yes, sweet, I got my Fritas. And he just threw up the, opened the bag and threw all of them onto a table and just started taking fistfuls of these motherfuckers and just shoving them into his mouth. <laughs> I, 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 oh, I think okay. about, I've got an image in my mind of Orson Welles shoving fistfuls of Fritos <laughs> into his fucking face that I, like, whenever I'm feeling sad, I think about that. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> At least or if like- I think like, that's what like I, I wish I was a, I wish I was a better filmmaker and then I go well Orson Welles used to fucking gorge on Fritos so it's you know yeah it's fine. and he's the greatest auteur of all time or something I don't he's know de- like, he's definitely he's up there he's up there whatever like you know it's an argument but it's just ah oh, he's amazing I found what it like man. to talk to the idea that the you know the greatest auteur of all time did this film based on like is art important or does the author matter I thought was just fascinating to me like because yeah obviously obviously his career his whole life has been sold on the idea that he made Citizen Kane that's it right like he like Orson Welles is Citizen Kane his name's above it he wrote it he directed it he stars in it it won't exist right. without him it's absolutely like not maybe origin of auteur theory but it's there you know like it's when people yeah. maybe even started identifying filmmaker film you know it's in it, America for sure that sure. was the when people talk about it changing the game um uh, in, a, in American film culture at the time, the idea that like the director uh, not only really mattered. So like John Ford was already a famous director. Sure. William Wyler was already a famous yeah. director. It wasn't an How alien concept. Like, yeah, but... uh, uh, so that wasn't an alien concept, but the fact that you could like make a, like an entertaining film that was also clearly very personal yeah. and very artistic. And always kind um, of about every film is about the filmmaker is always the kind of thing as well. Like it's always a little Right. And it's not, like, it's not necessarily like in a genre, like the way yeah. John Ford did uh, quite successfully. I'm not shitting on John Ford at all, but I'm just, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it didn't change the game in terms of like being leaps and bounds better than every other film that had come out before that time. I don't think mm. uh, personally, um, it, it, in American film, Citizen Kane, uh, showed that you can make a really beautiful film that was also really fun. That could be a critical and commercial success, but that's very much your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with like no compromises. With no compromises to that. Yeah. Or at least that's yeah. the legend about it because it's. No, that's true. I'd say that's true. And the, what I'd like about it is that he, that character, Orson Welles, then doing a film as his, you know, technically was his last film. It's not anymore, but right. to actually attacks that idea that the author doesn't matter i think is really interesting because obviously the truth of citizen kane is that it's not just his film films are never just one person they can't no of course not like that's not the truth of them like that's the truth of maybe the art direction of them and and the and how you look at them in that way but the physicality of them it's it can't be just one person they're too big it's a team sport it's a it's team, a team sport. sport and everything matters yeah. every actor matters every kind of every person behind for the sure. camera matters to that and it's for sure it's interesting that i just found it fascinating that he would do that as the the great auteur would do that as the last film to just go yeah but does it matter does it matter who the it, author is like in in uh, film school there's always a lot of contrarian takes um where it's like well yes yeah, citizen king is good but it's really because Greg Tolan was the cinematographer and he was amazing okay, and Bernard Herman yeah. did the score and he was amazing and the rest of the actors are really amazing. And I try to remember the name of the editor. He also directed West Side Story. Oh, God. What's his name? Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, I didn't know uh, that. It's, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was like his first job. Okay. Uh, the guy that went on to direct like The Day the Earth Sits Still and West Side Story. Yeah, oh, my and God. What's he? I'm going to hate myself. Sound of Music. I always forget his name and I love him. He's one of my favorite. Because anyway, he edited Citizen Kane, so there's there is that sort of hot take 
Yeah. That like, well, Orson Welles wasn't really that good. It's because he had this amazing, like he got really lucky and had this amazing crew and that they're both true. Yes. Both is true. Like, I was the reason, say, both the is reason true. Citizen yeah. Kane is so polished for a first film. Robert Wise. Is I'm sorry. I just want to say. Robert Wise, the brilliant, brilliant yeah. Robert Wise, a fantastic filmmaker. The, the reason Citizen Kane is so polished as a first film is because of Orson Welles' yeah. uh, natural storytelling ability that we talked about earlier, but also very much because he's surrounded by a lot of other brilliant artists. Yeah. Yeah, I am. And that's fine. That's fine. That's I, I don't know fine. if there's a. There, I don't know if there's a like a, a term for this, but I am a, both a believer in kind of alter theory and not like I. I, I yes, no, same. I, I agree completely. It's a, it's totally a thing that I like looking at films from from their directors. I do like I think about films from their directors a lot. I, I definitely do that, but I absolutely understand that nothing stands alone, and every film is a collaboration. It's impo- as important nothing, to nothing. screenwriter and editor and actors, and everything is important in that. Even producers, producers are very important as well. They're how the money everybody, flows, everybody how people is. are allowed to be creative and and where they shoot and stuff is all contributes to everything like it's nothing I think most people would say the best directors are the people that are the best collaborators mm-hmm. with all those other because you can't um direct other people if they don't want to work with you sure. or if, or if you're a dick to them that doesn't usually work well there's an argument um, to be made that these big these big auteurs people like orson do get into trouble later on because they are sometimes yeah it they gets to their head a little being bit. able to collaborate really whereas yeah. they when they were starting out they were able to collaborate because they didn't have the kind of weight of that like alter theory on them or something or that no kind that's of- probably true that's probably true that's why when i was trying to describe the like the story of magnificent ambersons and lady of shanghai mm. i wasn't trying to only say it was the studio's fault like uniquely sure. that that which is something people do like to say i wasn't there i have no idea but uh, knowing the little bit about Orson Welles than I do, I assume that the success of Citizen Kane went to his head massively. It got to. It got, I mean, how could it not? Like, how could it, it yeah, not? And I don't, not? I'm not saying that makes him a bad person. No, I'm no, just no, saying no, that's no. what happened. And he probably became difficult to deal with. Yeah. And uh, and that's what happened. He said as much himself. I don't remember when I even saw this. I saw an interview with him, again, from maybe this early 70s, late 60s time period. And he was talking about that very idea. It must have been about this film, honestly. It must have been about it for fake. Uh, and someone asked him maybe this question you're saying right now, like how could you, Orson Welles, make this movie about the uh, uh, artistic authorship? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and was maybe talking about his own trials and tribulations and his own ego, and he said something like, um, "Having been a, like a child prodigy, which he kind of was, um, um, yeah, which we haven't gotten into. No, haven't. He was he was just he was just he was a brilliant kid, like right from the start. It's just one of those kids who could do everything, particularly anything artistic and writing. He was really good at from a very young age." And he went to these like private schools off and on and got had these teachers. And he the way he described it is, is every time he did anything from like the age of nine, he would write a poem and the teacher would say, this is the greatest poem ever written. <laughs> he would he would put on a play and they'd say, this is the greatest play ever. Sure. And I'm sure it was all very impressive. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's no, not doubting that. But the way he said it was like, when you're that age and everyone tells you everything you've done is the best thing ever, of course it's, you're going to come out like weird and not be able to like um, come back down to earth a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and these were his own words. Failure. I wish I could. Yeah. I wish I could find that. Yeah, and not be able to deal with the failure that comes with getting old and fat and having not every movie yeah. work. Not which everything is happen you ever to everybody. do work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the start start of the thread of this film is is a well about like death of author and death of author like is something that's talked about a lot in our modern culture. Even if people don't realize sure. they are talking about it, um, right? And I, especially because of I don't know if I want to go here or not, but because of cancel culture. Uh, the idea that oh, interesting. You can, didn't see um, that coming at all. <laughs> but the the idea that like, can you keep enjoying something that despite the fact of who made it? 
and that's become an important part in our modern society because of like people's views have become outspoken or people have become public right. figures. Um, there is a certain author I do not want to mention right now who I'm thinking of, and um, okay. there's a and it's interesting that this is this is kind of tackling that a little bit. It's kind of saying about like we I know. So. It didn't. It didn't occur to me at all actually watching it, but I, I see what you're getting at. I, I saw. He's it sort of saying. Of, it, he's sort of saying it doesn't matter. Yeah, he is. He he's saying yeah. it doesn't matter. He's saying when the names of the artists are gone, all that's left is the art. He's saying that with the cathedral. We don't know who built this cathedral, but the art's that what? still there. God, that when he said, like, when he said, look at this thing. There's no signature on it. I died. Now this has been standing here for centuries. The premier work of man, perhaps, in the whole Western world. And it's without a signature. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. God, what a fucking point. Yeah. Like, after, oh. It's brilliant. And that's what he's I'm doing with out. that. He's just like, all that's left is art. It's just so, yeah. why do we care about the author? Is if the expression of the art is what's important? And yeah. that that is absolutely arguing to me for death of the author. It doesn't matter who right. did this. My own thing is, I think, I think authorship matters. That's why I'm not totally for death of the author. I think it matters who creates it and what their thoughts are going into it. I think, and sure. it especially matters if they're still around uh, at some point. I think in kind it matters of, if, if it matters if uh, somebody who's horrible keeps making money. Yes, exactly. And and especially other than, because, other than that, I'm not too worried about. it. And they argue about this like like I'm not going to get into like baths and fucking like you know Falkert or whatever like but like the idea that at some point Arthur's authors kind of started out being like mythic characters people like sure. Plato or whatever or Homer that weren't especially real like they were all even right. sometimes collections of people like a school right. would write under a name and stuff like that it was it was just something the way to publish at some point that changed to the idea that things have to have a name stamped on them um, sure. This is Shakespeare's play, even if, again, there's arguments of Shakespeare if he was one author. Oh, please um, stop. I know, but it's all that stuff, like, <laughs> and then then at some point, you, like, people argue that the name on the authorship isn't a person, it's an idea, it's a form, that that, that author's as fiction as the books he wrote, because it's not right. like a, that author is just a person putting out work there. And I think this this film just made me think about how I kind of agree with Wells with this in the fact that it doesn't matter when the author's gone. It doesn't matter if you own that painting and it's not by Picasso, but you like that right. painting. And it if, it if it if it evokes like an emotion in you, that's yeah. all that matters. And yeah. it's it's not. Ju- I think it's not just like it's not just anti-expert. This film. It's 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 almost anti-artist in the fact that it's it's. What's the? He says, "I've got it written down." Cry the dead artist out of the living past. All of our songs will be silenced. It's it's about that. It's not the fact that the experts say like say if that's good or not. It's also the fact that the artist himself doesn't matter. The only thing that actually matters is the art. It doesn't. Right. And that's the only product. What a line! What a line as well. Yeah, fantastic. What line. a what a fucking writer he was. <laughs> um, Just all these dropping all these amazing. All these amazing lines on our on our young supple minds, uh, with his massive voice massive like voice. ringing in your head, and he's dropping it like nothing. That's what's so amazing yeah. about this. Just like <laughs> not in like, that, no, not not in that scene. He's putting on his whole voice. He's 
in the in the cathedral scene that you just quoted, he's definitely like reaching the lowest ends of his voice. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and really, he's knowing what he's doing. He, he's, he's a yeah. yeah he's yeah. he's, he's a, a very performer. performative man. Yeah, yeah, he's a very performative man, just generally, generally, which is why he'd be that great dinner guest. But he's <laughs> it's I love the way he plays those voiceover scenes generally, even those more casual ones earlier on at the editing bay, where he's like, ha ha ha, check this yeah. out. Hi. Isn't this hilarious? Yeah, yeah, totally. And he's yeah. like arching his eyebrows and all this kind of stuff. And there's a there's something, and I need to rewatch Kane if I'm honest, but there's something about the fact that Citizen Kane is about kind of the legacy that this man's going to leave. It's about judging a man. Yeah, it's about a horrible a man. man. Yeah, yeah. Judging a man yeah. by the artifacts they leave, which, you know, is archaeology, but let's not get into it's, it. It seems, <laughs> it seems like he, it seems like he was where he was scared of hating his old self. Yes. From the day he was born. Yes, almost. I think so. I think so. I, I always got that vibe from Citizen Kane. Yeah. personally, And I, I think like that, that's this, it's interesting that the last film is talking about that. Is it's it's almost awesome tackling that a little bit again, saying like, you know, do we judge by what the artifacts that we leave, that the artists leave, and do we judge how important they are because they're made by this important name or because they're art? Like, um, you know, who, you know, what, what is Rosebud? That kind of argument at the end of the film, like, and it's just a sled man. And um, I, I found it. As a kind of bookend to his career, and I know that the latter film comes out, but as a bookend, I think that's fascinating that that. No, it is. It is great. I think both those films are they work together because they're again they're quite thematically similar and aesthetically similar. But I was just thinking this as you were saying, Effer Fake. He sort of seems to come to terms with who he is as an old man. He seems he seems content in the film. Yeah, he goes. I grew another beard. I made another film. That kind of stuff. Like and. Yeah, he seems content, but then other side of the wind's a bit more cynical. Okay, like it feels a little bit more bitter, and I don't know if that's just my memory or not. But he, he uh, basically he has in that film an alter ego played by John Huston, okay, who's another old like mythic filmmaker uh, and actor, um, and Peter Bogdanovich essentially plays a version of himself in it. So it's all narrative, but it it just feels a little bit more acid. Than this film about getting older about and dealing about with legacy and is it dealing like, with legacy and the place of the artist in the modern world and and all of the themes in this it's sort of like the 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 more like acid undertone to this slightly more jolly and content uh, still mournful like yeah. obviously there's a ton of of like he's he knows he's on the last probably ten to twenty years of his life yes uh, yeah. and he can see that coming and he's um, you know, grappling with that, particularly in that cathedral scene and that last scene in the fog. Yeah. Uh, oh, with, uh, with, so his, scene, with his much younger girlfriend. Yeah. He's definitely <laughs> proud of his girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, I can see why I can see why it doesn't play great no. in 2020. She seems up for it. She seems like a very like legitimately interesting person. Yeah, totally. Um, Actually as, on top of being a total Fox. Obviously. Weirdly enough, I've got something to talk about that because part of the scene okay. that she, she made in this film is the girl watching scene. So there's a yes. bit in this film, film when she walks around the streets. Uh, Which is almost like the first scene, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of. It, it happens in the train station as well, really. And then it and they tell you that we're going to get back to this at some point, and they do. Oh, okay. And then they get back to it again later. But like, yeah. So she made this kind of stuff in the streets where she's walking around in a very short mini skirt. Um, she looks amazing. But what they're doing is not filming her. They're well, they're, they're a little bit are, but they're filming the reactions to her. They're filming all the right. men that are watching her and all the men that are staring at her and stuff. And and uh, Orson Welles calls it girl watching. You know, he uses that term, girl watching. Right. And I don't know yeah. if you know that term because I know that term, girl watching, and it's a fascinating story. If you 
You got a second. Wait, what, Have you got a second? What do you mean? I've got I've got a few more seconds. Uh, how do you mean? As a term, girl watching. It, it has more more than just those two words put yeah. together. I don't get it. Yeah. Okay, so like me. basically me, in the nineteen fifties, these these ad men would meet up in lunchtime and watch the girls around them. What they started to do is then like bird watchers, they would then start keeping journals about the different girls that they saw. <laughs> okay. And then okay. from that journals, what they started to do is, is make types of, of girls that they saw and oh started cataloging oh in types. Boy. They oh published this as a book called The Girl Watcher's Guide that ended oh no. up making a society in the 60s called the International Girl Watching Society. Oh, murder me. And they would meet like four times a year and normally in San Diego to kind of compare <laughs> notes. Why is that funny? Why is that so funny today? That is San Diego. Why is San Diego? I don't know why. And why San Diego? What fucking places? And they would compare notes about like girl watching and they would share tips on how to do it, like tricks of the trade and stuff like that. Like what? Ha- like having a paper that you sneak your eyes around and stuff like that when a girl yeah, walks you could past just What? It's insane. Like, it's absolutely fucking insane. Don't you just like use your eyes? <laughs> Is that, just, isn't like, that the top tip? Human. It's just like, yeah, just like I'm looking at someone because I'm a human. But with they would, human parts, they, they, and that's how stuff it works. like people would have cards that they rated the girls on, then give them the cards. No, like, boo. Like, like saying, like, I ranked you as nice. Here you go. Here's your uh, card. Like, Mark Zuckerberg loves that. <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> like, um, they, they, there's a quote that's if a girl is watchable they should be watched no matter what their ambitions may actually be was like a, a quote from this girl watcher's guide how did you find all this what is this coming from <laughs> I will, there's a podcast called The Dollop they do an episode on girl watching I recommend listening to it um, I'm horrified now I don't think I can listen to more that, this raise this this comes to like this comes to like a big kind of um, a big I don't know a big culmination in the late 60s or it might be the in the 60s whatever with an incident in new york um there was a young girl she's just a young girl she's just very attractive that used to she's called francine and every morning she would go from broad street station in new york to her job okay and every morning the same time she would get off the subway and then and then walk the streets and men would notice her and start telling each other about her and Soon, okay. and she used to wear. They used to say she wore tight sweaters, and that's what everyone liked. <laughs> she had to wear tight okay. sweaters because she was quite well endowed. She was just wearing a sweater, sure. like that's it. Yeah. Like, um, right. and then every day, more and more men would come and turn up to watch her walk to work. What the fuck? Over and over again, every single day, men were coming and coming and coming to watch her to this walk. This is particularly to work. weird because it's like pretending that there's a shortage of good-looking women in New York City, it's which I can insane. tell you is not true. Ba- <laughs> there's Brandon, plenty everywhere. Five thousand men turned up one day to watch <laughs> oh her walk to work. What? Five thousand. I mean, she men. must have been. She must have been a god. And then, um, and then that's that's insane. That's insane to the point that the police started have to coming to Broad Street to escort her to work every morning. And like they'll take her like secret routes and through back rooms and through offices and stuff like that to get her to work. And so then, did, at some point did she think, um, I guess I should be a model, or did she just? Do you know what I mean? Uh, the stupid thing about this story is that we don't actually know what happened to her because it's written by men. Like, so no one actually cared about maybe her. Th- maybe at this all. is not. Like, maybe this is not true because that sounds like way too big of a story for you, us to not know who you can, this person um, was. They know her name, but they just don't know what happened to her. But basically, like, okay. what how this well, ended is ten thousand men turned up to watch her walk to work one day, and a riot basically broke out. 
and the police had I, to okay, stop well, them. This is an e- easy way to find 10,000 men who can just get shot into space <laughs> like, and just never come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we can just, we can thin the herd right there. But the press <laughs> would report on her each day about her movements and what she was wearing and stuff uh, like that. And you can find all the clippings in the press and stuff like that. And, I, don't, I don't believe it. And then one day... This, that, is, uh, this is your F for fake right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, this is this is the plot of this podcast. Is my story P for podcast. true or not? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but I'd funny, I funny... I just when... It just reminded me of that story when he started to use the word girl watching and the whole section of this film is about girl watching. It's like five minutes of it. And it, it just reminded huh. me of that that whole story about it. And I, I wonder if he was referencing that specifically. I don't know. It definitely could have. He would have known about this. I'm sure he would have. He's, he's that type of he guy. He seems like the kind of no. guy, yeah, who would and have even, known that. And even if it was made by Audrey herself, I'm sure she knew what she was doing with this. And so the scene, the scene, the girl watching scene, um, like you said, she looks amazing, which is true. The guys, the footage they have of the guys seems over the top to the point where I thought they were actors. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and, and like, I'm a straight man. I will. I uh, I was a young one once, uh, and you you do you know look around for sure. And I'm sure I look like a moron ma- many times, but not that. Like I'm not falling over myself. It's you know it's I mean? like a it's like a um a candy a camera, cartoon like thing. Like no, is... but these guys look like you know those old cartoons where like someone's head would yeah, explode yeah, yeah, and yeah, little yeah, yeah. hearts yeah. would come out of their eyes. They, they, yeah, 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 all that. They look like they're two seconds from that happening. Like they're 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 wearing big clown shoes and they're about to fall over and go down a manhole and fly out the other one. Like they're like they, triple they taking and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. It's too. It's I don't. I think some of them had to be plants. I just personally. Yeah. I, if if that was the reality of of someone walking down the street, and I'm guessing, I thought they weren't in New York. I thought they were in Paris or something like that. They were they were in France. Yeah. For sure. If that was the reality of that back then, I was oh god, oh god. Actually, you know what? It probably is real. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> Paris is pretty bad. I've, I've heard from many a female friend that, that even in the even 90s now, and 2000s, yeah. yeah, it could be a bit obnoxious. So taking it back, men are the worst. Sorry Men are to definitely everybody. the worst. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I try not to be, but what can I do? And then like, uh, the whole point of that scene is that he's saying that a lot of his their actors in this are blissfully ignorant that their facts are now in this film. And I feel like there have to be like at least two plants who overdid it just to like just to add to it. And the re- I believe <laughs> most help. of them are real. I will believe that completely. Um, this like, is just after that is the big. bit that he says everything in this film is strictly based on the available facts. He makes that very clear over and over again during well, this film. He's, no, he says for, for the next hour. hour. Yeah, for an hour. For the yeah, next yeah. hour. Yeah, and that's and the that's hour the, is up that's when the it key. gets to the. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So we and haven't talked the about hour that is bit up, yet, So yeah, yeah, it's a very clever bit where so the, for the first hour of the film is strictly talking about the the two those two main characters those two forgers at the heart of the film. And those two stories are real, which again, I didn't, I thought were fake while I was watching it, um, but they are real. Uh, and he doesn't give us a ton of facts like we talked about earlier. We don't get a huge rundown of events or a ton of backstory about either of these guys. Not it's really, more no. a few, a few available facts. Some they omit yeah. uh, actually completely. Uh, for example, the reason Elmir went to prison had nothing to do with his art and everything to do with him being a homosexual. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which they just don't they just he doesn't put in the film at all i wonder if he um, thought if he put that in the film it would change people's opinion of him in the 70s maybe he, he just he, they talk about him having briefly been in prison but they don't yeah, say they do. why explicitly. i assumed it was for art i totally totally did. no yeah. i looked while i was looking at the film this morning it turns yeah. out it was it was for homosexuality uh sadly uh so it, again just doesn't give you a ton of information it's it gives you the bare bones mm. and then orson wells being orson wells about it uh for that first hour 
And then in the last 20 to 30 minutes, they invent this whole ridiculous story about Oja's grandfather and Picasso. Yes. Which is a, uh, clearly an invention. And when you're watching the film not falling asleep, uh, it's very clear that it changes gears. Yes. Yeah. When I, I, th- when I, I got to that bit for me, I was very confused where this was coming from. I, was, I, I almost <laughs> thought that her, because I knew she was Eastern European, I didn't know she was Ukrainian. I thought her grandfather was um, Elmir. They, That's they said, I, yeah, I, I, the first time I watched it, I was completely lost. Um, but yeah, they try and claim that it's complicated and I might not get this right, but she basically keeps walking past Picasso's house every day until Picasso kind of starts painting her and talking to her. And then, right. and then when she gets his confidence, she steals 22 paintings from him. This was the bit I rewatched just beforehand, so I can help you out here. Am I right? I missed this. You're very close, like more or less, yeah, Um, close enough. But Um, then, but I missed I missed this falling asleep. Give me a second. Give me a second. There's a detail in this bit that I loved, and I'm so glad I rewatched it. Uh, It starts with some guy practicing the trombone in the street. Okay. So the the scene begins with like Picasso's in this apartment in Tucson, and on the street there's a guy from Norway who's constantly practicing New Orleans jazz trumpet and driving Picasso insane, (laughs) and it keeps cutting back and forth between this idiot playing trombone on the bench and that picture of Picasso looking angry with like and they and they film blinds in front of the picture to pretend it's in a window, Uh, and I was I it was so funny it's such a funny gag I couldn't stop laughing, (laughs) Uh, and and then so it starts with that and then he also starts noticing. He throws in that trombone thing just for a gag. There's no reason at all. Like, it's not a plot point. It's just funny. Uh, and then Oji turns up, and she poses nude for him, uh, and he paints her 20-something times, but the payment for that is that she gets all the paintings. Okay. But she's not allowed... But she's not... The deal was she's not allowed to sell them. This is all completely made up. Yeah, it's all made up. Uh, but... Yeah, this is just a story, like a narrative. The other stuff was documentary. Uh, so then she sells the paintings in Paris, and... Uh, uh, that's story number one, but the truth is in this uh, fake story. The truth of the fake no story truth, is, yeah, yeah. The truth of the fake story that is that the grand, her grandfather made fakes, yes, which means her grandfather painted her nude, which is horrifying. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that the first time either, but the second time I was getting really queasy, yeah, about that particular detail. That particular, <laughs> but yeah, okay. The, this part's all fake anyway. So they pretend that the Oja Kodar's grandfather was like the the Babe Ruth or the Wayne Gretzky of fake. <laughs> Fake artists, the, yeah, the sure. Da Vinci, actually, yeah. the Da Vinci. Da Vinci that's what they use, yeah. yeah. Of, of fake artists, um, which is obviously completely a lie. Uh, and that he like is in the Louvre pretending to be Da Vinci and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so they invent this like the great faker of all fakers uh, for the last 20 minutes. Uh, basically just so that, you know, a bit self-indulgently, Orson Welles can film uh, Oda Kojar from many angles. <laughs> <laughs> the the impression that I got yeah, from that the sequence. main drive for this section. Yeah, it's it, 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 this is where it felt. I mean, it was still entertaining as hell, but it did it did fall a little bit into like a bit of self indulgence here. It was yeah, a bit of self indulgence, but a bit of fun as well. I thought just it was uh, that it was, nice twist of like I'm going to tell you an hour of truth and then I'm going to finish it off with false and then and then remind you that you know this is false because art can be false. So, but it's, it's still cheeky, art. It's a cheeky it's, bit. Yeah, it's it's fun. I wrote in this bit actually, Wells is just so magnetic. Like he's just genuinely electric electric as a performer. He really is. Um, he was an amazing performer as well as everything else. He's just a very multi-talented. He man. is. And I'd never watched him in that way doing anything like this before really. And it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating really to, to just there's watch a bit. That. There's a bit in this scene where he's... Um, 
so it's him and Oda in the mist, and they're both like playing other people. Yeah, like, yeah, sort yeah. of play play acting as either Picasso or well, her grandfather, grandfather yeah, or yeah. themselves in certain moments, yeah. uh, which is a fascinating bit um, to end the film on, really. And there's this bit where he play he's playing Picasso, seeing the fake paintings. So he's doing the reaction. He's acting as if he's Picasso seeing these fake paintings. And he's just in the mist and there's no set and it's clearly just Orson Welles. But the amount of like intensity in his face is ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's so, yeah, he makes this yeah. insane, insane facial expression that I want to gif so hard. And he's like looking around, looking really angry. And I think that's the perfect gif for when you're really upset about, <laughs> about anything. His face is so, you know, big, both literally and figuratively in that moment. Every emotion's red upon that face. Like, <laughs> it's a yeah. lot of emotion going on. It's um, it's just before that. I think I think we slightly touched on this, but one of the most interesting parts I really liked is when Orson Welles starts investigating himself in this myth, and he starts saying right. how like his own so- story, his own story is a story of forgery, in the fact that he started his career in Dublin on the stage, but with a fake Broadway career behind him. He basically just went right. to them and lied to them and said, like, you know, I've done all these Broadway plays. And they believed him and put him on stage. And he was like, right. I, that I don't exist without that forgery existing. Right. Like, it's, it's as much of a forgery for me to put that into, my, into myself and then get jobs from it as it is anyone selling a fake painting. And he says... Right. And then going from there to War of the Worlds. And going there for War of the Worlds again and saying that I did War of the Worlds. You know, I, I did this thing that everyone started believing and people... And people started like you know reacting to and that was a that made me famous by doing that it made me get citizen kane these was way he words it really which is insane as well like because he he had no background in film whatsoever just in theater and in radio plays and uh and then they went yeah sure we'll give you a film and it's nice that he starts tackling that about faking he he kind of says that art doesn't exist without faking at some point you have to fake it you have to kind of be the fake artist you're going to be to become the artist you're going to be like and yeah he's right you gotta you gotta build yourself up first yeah yeah you gotta fake uh, it to make with, it with, as the kids yeah you, you totally to do say. you have to you have to like you have to believe in your own head that you're really good yeah in order to actually get really good and you know and he says just after this like or i think it might be elmira says this after this if if they become they become real if they're there long enough like, yeah, 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 that's Elmir who says that, which is amazing. Which is exactly what Orson's saying about himself. You know, like if if you live this life long enough, if you tell yourself you're an artist long enough, you become real. You become the artist. Like, and it's the same right. with his art that he makes. If it hangs in a museum for fifty years, it's a real. It doesn't matter who painted it. It's a real bit of yeah, art right. at that point. And should we say if we think this movie's a real bit of art yet? <laughs> well, because we have. I just noticed the time. Well, uh, we'll tie up. Thank, I say, well, thankfully, we. What? We don't have to like. We don't have to like wait for Ollie to talk. Thank God, and listen to his <laughs> incessant ramblings interrupting us. Uh, this has and so been, we've talked for two hours. This has been two hours of us endlessly rambling about this film, <laughs> just like overlapping <laughs> narratives and, and thoughts about this film. Like it's just from the yeah. start of it. Like um, I like that this was supposed to be a short one. Yeah, this is going to be a short one. I say like well uh, done. I, he rounds the film up by saying that he has to believe that art's real. That's I feel like that's what concerns him. And that's what interests right. him in this story. He has to believe that art's real because he spent his life doing art. Like, um, right. And, like, and <laughs> that's a very good point. If, if, if something can just be faked and imitated and then we say that's not art, then he can't believe that. Like, he, he, he right. it makes him question everything about being an artist. And I yeah. think that's what made him really interested in telling this story or really kind of interested in, in looking at it anyway. 
And um, definitely. And I think the biggest takeaway for me about this film, and we touched upon this a lot, is it's not quite about what you have going into a project. It's about what you cut and what you make out of it. And this film only exists in the editing. This, 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 it really does, yeah. And this film only exists because of the way it's put together. And I think that's true of a lot of stuff nowadays. Um, it's it's definitely, yeah, it's a film saved in the editing room, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which yeah. is a phrase a phrase that we use. Yeah. Uh, usually for, like, now to talk about visual effects saving shitty footage or whatever. Sure. So and we th- you, def- you definitely saved that documentary footage because it wouldn't have been... They only had like one or two interviews with those guys, and they're pretty good. They're yeah. good interviews, but they're not feature length interviews. No, they're no, not, not at all. No, no, no. They're, they're just pretty. They're they're good characters. They're interesting characters, but they don't go into that much detail. Uh, they have a couple of good lines, particularly Elmir, that we touched touched on, mm. but not nearly enough to cover you know an eighty or ninety minute film. So oh. yeah, Orson Welles made it made it in the edit. Made it in the edit. Absolutely made it in the edit. And he makes a film that's about this art fake and this bibli- and bibliographic fake, but he then puts himself into it's about Orson's relationship to art it's about Orson's relationship to Howard Hughes who is has a relationship to the bibliography the fake bibliography that's that's written in this film can we talk about how he says the word biographer or bibliographer he has a weird accent when he says it he knows that he says biographer (laughs) oh yeah he does yeah yeah he does over and over again it's so odd biographer like Orson what the hell what accent is that? And then you his biographer. Then he mixes what? up with Ojo and her making her own art, and then it's also about this film. This film is about making this film. In the end of the day, right, yeah, totally. Um, and he effortlessly just puts this together to make something that I think's fascinating. Like I, I, I get the feeling I, I like that. I, it doesn't. It feels effortless because he puts so much effort effort yes. in. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think personally, I, this is my guess. Um, I have no expertise in this. No, area. no. But there's a quote about. It's from some movie about Shakespeare. I think it's a bad film, but I always think about a quote someone said about it, that he, he seemed effortless to the people at the time. I don't remember if this was a real quote from someone or a dr- dramatization or whatever, but they're like, oh, Shakespeare, he just writes uh, other playwrights at the time. Um, Orson Welles loved Shakespeare, so this all connects. Sure. Leave me alone. Uh, and he goes, he seems effortless when he writes, uh, but the swan is a good emblem for him because he looks effortless, but under the water, his legs are kicking like mad. Right. To, yeah, sure. To, you know, to make it seem effortless. Yeah. And uh, this this film feels like that too, where it, it seems to like effortless, effortlessly speak English uh, and also go from point to point and cut to cut and scene to scene. But the amount of labor involved and the amount sure. of years that they did it and the way that it evolved over time during the making of it, as you said, um, in quite a freeform way just implies to me that there was a lot of like, and you know, sleepless nights trying to like put this bit of film, that bill film together, trying to come up with a, uh, a voiceover or a thematic idea that would link, you know, X and Y together in a poetic and interesting way. Yeah. And like we said, he nails all of them. He does. And no matter how brilliant the man was, which he clearly was, you can't do that, you know, at the drop of a hat. It <laughs> takes uh, even a, even a beautiful hat. It takes a minute. <laughs> Slightly jaunty, to- <laughs> beautiful hat. <laughs> Uh, jauntily put on worn beautiful hat uh you can't just drop that and have all this brilliant like um um uh god what's the word i'm looking for um well montage i guess um you know it it definitely takes a lot of sweat to to find the right shots at the right moment and the right sentence and the right turn of phrase to lead from you know uh this guy talking to howard hughes over there to oj over here uh, that doesn't just happen, no matter no, no matter who you are. And it, it's, it's not just it's not just that it feels effortless. It feels to me like fully formed. It feels like it just yeah. fell out this way, you know, like uh, and <laughs> like and, and it's no way that can happen. But it just no, feels like no. it just feels so just like 
I don't know. I don't know. It just it just feels so tight with that, and it's that is the. It feels like at a certain point, like he just started having a lot of fun editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The editing feels really fun. Yeah. Um, the start. I, I, I wanted to say the start, like because like we and we should, right at the end of this podcast, we'll talk about the start of this film. But like it, we we mentioned, we mentioned. It, I love when he's doing this magic trick for the kid, and it's all just focus on his hands, and he's narrating and telling you what he's going to tell you. He he introduces the crew at the same point, and they're kind of hiding yes. behind a pillar, shooting them. Yes. He introduces Audra and tells you we're going to get back to her later, and then it comes comes back to the magic of the trick again. Um, and tells you that you know, like as magicians are faking it, artists are faking it. So we're going to discuss about what faking it is. He then talks right. to the the, the co director, um, and the co director tells him, "Do you want to do this now?" And he's like, uh, "We'll get to that in a bit. Actually, let's do this bit now." And he walks across the train okay. platform to some guys holding up a white screen, and he walks up to this white screen, turns the camera, it then cuts to him in a studio behind the same white screen, and he introduces. Oh. That kind, he introduces then his narrative, you know, the welcome to the film and well, I'm Orson Welles kind of thing. And then that screen's right. pulled away from him and he's in this kind of ed- like kind of studio back lot with like screens and smoke everywhere. And, and I just was, and I just, those opening minutes, I fell in love with this film. I was like, yeah, it's incredible. I was like, yeah, the, the I magic am trick on board bit, like, with this. The magic bit trick is so, with the kid, is so, um, the atmosphere is so thick. You feel like you can touch the film. Yeah, it's really tactile. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful looking. His, uh, his his outfits are amazing through the whole film. He's got his gloves on. Gloves, just, cape, the hat. Like, yeah, yeah, these beautiful gloves that he's doing all these magic tricks with the keys and the coins. Not even particularly good magic tricks, but he's... Yeah, some he, of them you absolutely see the double blind and the grab and stuff. And it's, yeah, of course, yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, yeah. No, he's just doing magic. And it's on yeah. this beautiful train platform, uh, I believe in Paris somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's an incredible opening scene. It really sets the stage. I think that's the cover of the film is the famous cover with him like pulling his fingers up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's from that, that scene. Is, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's incredible scene. how good some of this looks, even with all the grain on it. And you know, they were clearly running and gunning. Uh, you know, just running around capturing images as quickly as they could. As they could get some footage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely none of it's as polished no. as Touch of Evil or Susan Kane or or anything else in his in his work um but it still has his eye and um uh as well as well as reveling in the the cheap film stock yeah in the way that like wanda does and mikey and nikki does as yeah, well they yeah, sort yeah. of uh, and the french new wave did in the yeah. italian you know real estate they didn't what people realized somewhere in the late 50s was you know what if cheap film actually looks good it's fine and it's like it's yeah a, it's a, like, what if I just like the grain? Yeah. And yeah, just go with yeah, it. Yeah. Which we've Rather than trying to make everything. Yeah. Instead of just trying to make everything super slick and perfect all the time. Yeah. You know, just revelant. So there's points in this film where like freeze frames on with mm. tons of grain just stopping, just but stops. it's like it's atmospheric and it works. Yeah. 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 Know. Yeah. Looks great, despite the fact that it technically doesn't look great. Yes, if you see right. what I mean. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. It's it it works for itself. It does exactly what itself wants to do, and it just feels yeah, sure, sure. It looks like that. That's great. It's <laughs> like, yeah, amazing. Um, amazing. I say thank you for choosing this. Like it, we, we obviously didn't plan to have um, this kind of 
episode at this point, but I, I really value that actually we got to look at Orson Welles in the 70s and this part of his yeah. life and and what he's doing at this point, I think is really is really cool to look at. And now we can go back and when we look at Orson in, in the 50s and in the 40s, we, we've got this idea of where he went, you know, and who he was at this point. And, and, it's just and crazy that like point. after he'd already, he'd, after he'd already stomped everybody in the ground, He's just running circles around people decades. <laughs> decades. You know later. what I mean? Yeah, just, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Other side of the, honestly, Other Side of the Wind came out in whatever it was, 2019. I'm like, this is easily one of the five best films that of came this out year. this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, what What the hell? Fuck that. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, that's, this isn't even fair. <laughs> that, like, this guy could come from beyond the grave and just style on us this hard. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it's one of those. shouldn't be allowed. It's, it is one of those. And it is. I think it is a legitimately hot take. It's like, Orson Welles, he's really good. Like, and he's not just yeah. really good in the golden age, like, oh my God, yeah. he made this. He's re- he legitimately was a- ahead of his time doing stuff that's really, really, really good, really hard and really important and, and yeah. did it really well. Like, and if he was making films now, he would do really good films now. It's, it's, I'd be killing it, yeah. It's it's not like, it's not that he was trapped in the golden age of cinema. He, he was just trapped as an artist. That's all he was. And I think he would have made great art in any period. A lot of, like, a lot of filmmakers get pigeonholed like yeah. that. So it's like... He does the one film that everybody likes, fair enough. And then, like we said, everyone writes him off, which is bullshit, a bullshit narrative. Yeah. But it's sort of like how everyone says, for example, Scorsese only does gangster pictures, which isn't true <laughs> which at isn't all. Which isn't true. Yeah. It's complete yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Or Spike Lee may do the right thing and Malcolm X and that's the end and of that's, it. And yeah, that's, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's complete horseshit. So it's, it's you know, he got pigeonholed, um, which wasn't fair. And he was just always, you know, decades ahead of, of what was going on. Uh, and he was always curious and excited about film and film form yeah um from day one which is great which obviously plays into this one massively i highly recommend you just go watch other side of the wind tonight i'm gonna try actually yeah actually yeah i will i will actually it's another short and short and fun one it's on youtube and so it's on netflix isn't it yeah it's it's on netflix um most people didn't i liked it more than most people okay i don't i don't know why a lot of the critical reaction to it was like an interesting film but sure. because he wasn't around to finish it it doesn't quite have the pop whereas i was watching it going oh my fuck ah! like just if i'm right it was just... cut from a ton of notes though like it was like he, it's he i mean it's a very complicated down. so he had edited a lot of it and he wrote a lot down uh i personally think the guy the team responsible for bringing that film back should have won pulitzers and every <laughs> award imaginable because the the as touch we talked about how tough editing for fake must have been this film again every scene is shot with like 20 cameras yeah uh you know like documentary style uh and it was all locked in a vault in like Prague or something for like 50 years <laughs> with years, no sound yeah. half of it and, like they're not in sync and there's sound missing and it was shot over years and you know i can't even i can barely wrap my head around like the five minute corporate films i have to edit let alone <laughs> That I can't even I can't even understand how it was physically possible to to do that. No, so, I, I don't know why I'm talking about this. I, I, I'm the same. <laughs> I, I think it's an absolute. I think it's a just. It's a magic trick to give some awesome some magic. It's 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 just crazy to me. It really is. So if we want to if we want to jump to uh, to the final judgment section. Yeah, yeah, t- we're kind of there. Like I think um, we're kind of there. I'm as I say, I found this film impossible to to really review. Um, sure it's almost review proof because it's about reviewing and I, like you managed you managed to not review it for two plus hours yeah we've managed it's it's a film it's a film to talk like in my slight disagreement with him is that I think like I am not a film expert at all I, I, I won't right. claim to be but I, I do think experts are important and I do think film 
critics are important and have a role oh, totally. to play. I would disagree with that kind of the viewpoint of the film. That doesn't matter. You can watch this and disagree with it. It's got plenty of ideas and stuff that it's talking about. And mm-hmm. I like one of the best, you know, one of the biggest, let's say, filmmakers of Hollywood ever doing a film about art. I like watching that. Like, it's very, very pleasant to me. It's very the, satisfying. Yeah, totally. No, the vibe, I like your point where you're saying you can disagree with it and still really find a lot to value in it because it feels more like a discussion yeah. rather than uh, a dialogue, more than a monologue, yeah. which is, this, sounds crazy coming from such a big ego. Of a man. Yeah, and I feel like, almost I feel like I am sitting in a cafe in Paris with a, some red wine and I'm arguing about how <laughs> important like film criticism is with him and art is God, this. God, I like, wish. I wish. It feels like that dialogue, though. You don't get to join in, but it feels like he's presenting it to you in a way that, like, you know, like it's almost like, it's, it's, like come on, you, you can talk to me about this if you want. And it it's open-ended. Like it's open-ended. Yeah. He doesn't give a definitive answer to anything. Not really. It's just, you know, this is... And I mean that in a good way, obviously. Yeah, totally. Um, so, I don't know. If, if I'm reviewing this, four, four and a half stars for me, I guess. When like, I, I don't know. When like, I first when I first watched it and fell asleep, I, I, I didn't know how to feel about it. Yeah. And I wasn't super invested in the two main characters the first time I watched okay, it. Okay, yeah. Um, the, I didn't really care too much about Art Forger Guy and Book Forger Guy. Yeah, sure. And I was, I was a little confused... Uh, but I think that's because I was so tired. And so I was like, I give this three and a half stars. I liked Other Side of the Wind better. And uh, this one, like, it gets a little bit too lost in the weeds. The editing's fun. <laughs> but then this morning, after reading a little bit about it, getting my head on right, watching those last, like, 30, 35 minutes again, uh, I went, I, I underrated that. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's at least four. And it I is. have a feeling if I watch it, if I watch it again, I might go higher. Yeah, I, I definitely get that feeling. It's incredibly dense. I don't feel like I took everything in when I first, from my one watch. Um, right. So I feel like I could easily just sit down and watch that once more. And I think I would just, totally. now I know the flow of the film, where it's going, what it's talking about. I think it would be more comfortable to watch as well. But it's just, a, I just found it a delight. I just loved watching Awesome Wales. It's like, really fun. Yeah, I think this is one of the things to take away from, yeah. from, from, from if anyone's listening to this at this point, which I can't imagine well would be happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. You deserve an award. But despite all the heavy topics we talked about, the film is very funny. It is. Fun. It is very funny. It is. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. So again, like, thank Let's you. Thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on the show. That was really fun. And thank you for bringing this My film pleasure. as well. Like, and we'll, we'll do more of these, I hope. Ollie is not available next week. So we'll, we'll also produce, we'll do something next week as well that won't be our mini series. So like, look out on Twitter for that. And I'll drop something about what we're watching and how we cover the time. Because we don't, I just I don't just want to do disappear it's nice to just do other films and stuff like that and get other viewpoints in um when we come back we'll uh we'll we're doing um sorcerer next uh william freakin uh but um it might be a couple of weeks until we get back to our normal miniseries because you know we have jobs and life and work annoyingly thank you for listening um you can find if you you know if you like what we do if you like our ramblings please can you know subscribe review tell your friends you know drop us a please drop us a view on spotify itunes uh stitcher uh drop us a line on youtube and tell your friends about us you know we'd love to get more people on board and and honestly if you get around to watching f for fake which is on youtube like let us know what you thought about that as well and as ollie always says if the, if the picture's bad um adjust your tracking is that the way you said i thought uh, should i do this bit i'm gonna do yeah go on do all these bits if remember if uh if you have a vcr which you don't and you're using a tape which you're not uh and you can't see what's happening which won't happen adjust your tracking or you can just stream it and it'll work fine (laughs) 
Thank you. No problem. <laughs> And I'm pressed on. <laughs>